you're listening to the Sit Rep Podcast, your home for everything related to historical wargaming. When one man picked up a weapon and battled another, we're going to talk about it. We might even play the battle ourselves, or we just might make fun of each other, but we are entertaining. And now, joining us from merry old England is Gaz, our resident painter, and Ralph, our graphic artist. And of course, on the good old American side, we have our historical guru, Big Jim Ariskany from sunny Florida. And here in the Midwest, representing the nation's people, dun, 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 is Marty and G. And now, sit back, get ready, and let's battle. Hello, everybody. This is G with the crew from the Sit Rep Podcast, and we are coming to you live and in color. Well, we're live at least, mostly. Um, I am trying to get the one final connection up and running for everybody, and we're good to go. So uh, with me, uh, we're all basically spread out across the world. Nobody's in the studio except myself. And that is just because we have no choice. Um, so bear with us as we get through this crazy time in the world right now. And we will be with you guys very shortly as we get everything going up here. So while I'm getting the final connection set up, Ralph, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you ha- holding up with all this craziness going on? Can I just go back to work? <laughs> <laughs> right? It's just crazy, yeah, isn't it? It is. I mean, this this week has been online meetings and all sorts using Teams and stuff and getting used to that. So, yeah. And that it's just insane. And it's looking maybe September, the university's planning for a September return. Oh, really? Yeah. September? September. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how I could handle being out that long. You know, it's just just where I think where the UK is in the the trajectory of the virus. Yeah. It may be earlier, but there's planning going on for September. That's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. But where the UK is in lockdown i know it's down to your individual governors over there isn't it to put whichever states because this is mandated our lockdowns mandated from the government itself yeah that that's just crazy i tell you what i i i mean it's it's pretty much mandated here uh you know it's just one of those things um you know you have no choice really yeah you know so stay in stay safe lives yeah that's exactly it all right, Gaz, how are you holding up? Yeah, I don't know how many paces it is from my bedroom to my sink and from the <laughs> furthest corner to the furthest corner of my building. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, 12 paces from where my workspace I'm sat now to my sink, and it's 15 paces from my front door to the furthest corner of my flat. So, um, yeah, I'm um, farming nice rabbit runs now. Yeah. I'd never thought I'd do that in the flat as I consistently just walk in and around the place. That's crazy. <laughs> I've been out like four, four times in three weeks, maybe four, 
four or five times I've been outside in three weeks. Uh, so yeah, interesting. <laughs> and I know what retirement feels like for me. Yeah, it's not that so, much. Surrounded fun, by is it? half half finished paint jobs <laughs> <laughs> and food wrappers. <laughs> But uh, no, holding on, holding on. I think uh, June now is, it was going to be May, and there's a review for me in May, but June is what they're now telling me. So so what is the review? Um, so the majority of guys that are not high risk, um, uh-huh. that are basically on Easter break at the moment, Easter leave. So all we've done is done what was a seasonal stand down with an extra week or two, depending on who you are. Uh-huh. Uh, and those are high risk, uh, the 12 week stand down with the potential to extend. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what comes of it. The guys that go back in work, um, they'll obviously have meetings almost straight away with the medical staff, the medical center. Uh, one of the first people to have symptoms on camp was the medical officer at my unit. So he was immediately out of action. Oh, no. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see um, how this all changes how we do our role um obviously i'm getting updates and briefs via um via comms with work about what we're looking to do and what the plan going forward is and what's changed so yeah it's an ever fluid situation but there is some some good framework for what's going to happen next for the for the military oh okay Hey, yeah. Skoback has joined us, and I guess I'm only coming off on the left channel. That's because I have my mic set to stereo, and I only have the input, which is mono. Sorry about that, because I kind of think I figured out one of the audio problems. Uh, let me take and put me back to mono. When we have multiple people in the studio, and it's like you can't hear me because it's set at mono. And then at that time, we have multiple channels going in. So, Skoback, if you could let me know if you hear me better now. All right. And then down in Florida, is it sunny today, Jim? It's The weather's been gorgeous. Oh, my God. I hate Weather you. has absolutely gorgeous. Um, Friday, February, okay, um, February through um, April are the reasons you live in Florida. Yeah. Because the, the, the weather down here is miserable the rest of the time. You're either dodging uh, wildfires, hurricanes, or tourists from New York. Um, sorry to everybody from New York, but uh, stop coming down here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we need your money, so please keep coming. I'm only kidding. Um, no, it's, so the weather's great. It's just too bad that uh, you know. Now we're not all, we're not forbidden or whatever. We're not prevented from going outside, but uh-huh. it's almost like unless you're going for a walk or a jog or something. Like, what's the point? Yeah. The beaches are closed, you know, everything to do outside is closed, the parks are closed. So, I mean, I'm getting a little more exercise as far as just like walking around the neighborhood or whatever, you know. Um, but that's about it gotcha. as far as, you know, I, I'm not I'm not going crazy. Outside of that, uh, work has been insanely busy. Um, this is the first day off I've had in 19 days. Um, so work has been nuts. Uh, when they say work from home, they mean it. Yeah. Um, over here in the... <laughs> in the tech sector. They're not, they're not playing around. Um, and actually we're doing really well because our, uh, our company is, you know, about letting people, you know, work and, you know, play from anywhere, you know? So, um, we're actually doing, you know, not too shabby at the moment. Uh, all that said, uh, yeah, it's, 
It's, we have no idea. Now, right now, we're tentatively scheduled to come back on April 17th, but I think that date is uh, absurd. Um, I, I'm awaiting a, an email from somebody that says, oh, it's going to be sometime in May or sometime in, you know, who knows when. But it was going to be April 1st. Now it's April 17th, and who knows what it's going to be. Oh, wow. Well, that's it's just crazy how life has kind of put, been put on hold for a lot of people or at least altered drastically, and then others, not so much. Um, I have been in isolation for last week because I developed symptoms, um, you know, working in healthcare. I was on the front lines, but, you know, thankfully things have uh, improved, so I'm cleared to go back to work on Monday. So that's a good thing. All right, let's stop talking about the sad, stupid stuff, and let's talk about fun stuff. So, Ralph, you said you actually got hobby in. I did today, actually. I did some what? hobby today. It's only been six months, I think, since <laughs> I did anything. Well, I had primed the um, the SES counterterrorism set from Spectre, the ones with the black overalls okay. and, and gas masks and stuff. So I started painting, grabbed the first minion to do some, like a test almost, because I've got some AK paints. I bought the German Panzer set uh-huh. ages ago of AK paints. So to try and put some highlight on not having straight black, I grabbed one of them and I took the the way the AK paints work are you have different layers. Uh-huh. So there's like a there's like a dark shadow colour, not pure back, right up to a light shadow colour. So I picked like a middle one and then I dry brushed over the top of them to pick out some of the, the raised bits of the miniature and then just did the gun and the webbing in like a in a green. It's a grey green. Uh-huh. Went over, went over with some ink, uh, green ink, because my when I checked my GW camo shade, it had dried up because the lid hadn't been shut properly. I hate those pots. I hate those pots. Mm. Yeah, because you it's, you think they're closed, and then like mm-hmm. the back end of it's still open, you know, cracked yep. open. So yeah. So I had to dig out the army paint, a green to go over the, the the boots and the webbing with some and the helmet with some green, just to. Give it some think and um, yeah, army painter has a good well. um, army shade. Um, yeah, so. I need to get that one. It, this yeah, was really just what I had on the pot. Yeah, um, and then as well as I grabbed because I've got some of the texture paints from Games Workshop. Uh huh. Um, I grabbed the Astro Granite, which is like a it's like a concrete color, and I oh, put really? that on the base so it makes it look like he's standing on con- concrete instead of being. What I normally use is like um, a grilling earth or something to do ch- uh, cracked earth, like for desert and stuff. That's what my spets nuts are on. But oh. I decided to put these on like an urban base. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it looks really good. Actually, I've, I've put some pictures up on the Spectre site, so and I'll, I'll put them up in hours as well. Nice. But what I might wait and, and do is do what I did with the Humvee and the spets nuts is get them all painted together uh-huh. and then put them on a turntable and take a small video. So it's probably better than putting fit pitch sort of static images up nice so yeah i managed to get some hobby done yeah. <laughs> and uh skoback agrees with us says the army painter military shade is great i, I like it. it it really helps oh. um it really adds a nice underlying tone no matter what type of camo if you're doing multi-cam or cad pat you know yeah. any of those so it really does work nice awesome ralph i'm glad you got some actual hobby in thought change you know, 
You know, and then there's Gaz. I think Gaz has just been sitting on his butt doing nothing lately. Yeah, I've not seen much from Gaz. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, what have you been doing? Um, eating, sleeping, <laughs> um, finding reasons to get out of bed every day. Um, no, um, so I've been doing a bit of a mix, really, um, to stop yourself going insane. Uh, obviously, we've been keeping up with the View and a Brew. Uh-huh. Uh, so we've got a couple more models in the bag for that. Nice. Uh, I put in another order for some additional Spectre miniatures to flush out the force a bit more. Uh, Gee, you'll be happy to know we're now adding... I only got seven minis because I wanted to keep using different ones because obviously I've painted some and I yeah. wanted to paint a different versions. Um, so to keep it different, <laughs> out of the seven models, we've got two LMGs and two RPGs. Oh. <laughs> So, um, yeah, bringing some real fire support for the uh, 13 days equals 13 hours game. Yeah. Um, so that's been quite fun, uh, getting them cleaned up. Uh, I've done some prep work on some 251 Hano mags uh-huh. for Flames of War. So I've got a Panzer Grenadier unit that I'm looking to do. So we've done some cleaning work on them. Um, Walking Dead. I've been finding that the sort of the friendly forces, the non-zombies, are quite usable as, well, all sorts, really, uh, for sort of modern games or for uh, a setting of like a bank robbery and things. Uh-huh. Uh, some really nice minis out there within that range. So we've, I've put one up today on the on the website that we painted. And, uh, yeah, he's carrying like a Heckler & Koch MP5. Nice. Somewhat similar. Um, one of the other characters, Andrea, she's got a Browning uh, high-power sort of safari rifle with a scope. Uh-huh. So you could really see these being used in in a lot of the scenarios that are available in things like Spectre. Yeah, um, most definitely. And um, if you if you have an aversion to metals, because some people do, it might be an option if you were looking for plastics. But there's plenty out there. Yeah. But yeah, so um, been keeping busy. Slapping paint on things, seeing what sticks. Um, and, uh, yeah, I feel like a hermit. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You're producing great content. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I- I'm glad that you're isolated because it's making <laughs> great shows, man. <laughs> Get more out of me that way. <laughs> right? And I tell you what, your painting skills, I mean, you had great painting skills before, but just watching you over the past few weeks – it's just amazing the high, you know, the next level you're taking it to. So, oh, thank you. I, yeah. I am finding that um, I think it's Miniac, uh, who's um, a guy on YouTube. Uh-huh. He says paint more minis, and he screams it at the end of every episode. And I'm finding that because I'm doing it in a compressed time is a real truth to finding ways of doing things because you, you you get the opportunity to try what you've seen, uh-huh. such as doing gray work and white work on guns to give them a, a metal look without using metal colors yeah and when i first tried it it looked silly and now it's getting to be something i'm finding quite easy to see and the shadowing of models mm-hmm. um, the contrast helped me to begin with but now i'm starting to understand it should be darker under his arm because it's sticking out or under the edge of the shirt so yeah just by doing i'm definitely learning a lot yeah it, it's um it just goes to the old adage that practice makes perfect you know not that anybody's perfect perfect yeah. but it definitely helps your skills. And I found that out uh, on Thursday night's incredibly difficult and frustrating uh, brew and view that I did, the live stream. I was a mess. I, I totally I was out of sync. It's been over six weeks since I painted anything, and 
I felt like I was a noob all over again, and nothing was working right. My airbrush didn't work right. Paints were spilling all over the place. I was getting paint all over me. Um, the car, you know, it just wasn't laying down really nice. I mean, it's coming along now, and, you know, we'll be back. In, but if you're not painting regularly, you, you definitely lose that fine edge. And, you know, it seems like you take a couple steps back, and um, you, you kind of have to, you know, start over again. So, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it is definitely there is a you know it's a, it's a fine motor skill and you know it's like airbrushing if you don't train your hand and your finger control and you're not doing it constantly you kind of lose that fine motor skill so uh, definitely it's something you know uh, a good friend of ours Dave Taylor um, you know who does some amazing painting and wrote that book um, yep. he, he puts it he says you should spend at least a half hour each day painting something and that'll okay. help with your skills. And I agree with that. So that's cool. Yeah. yeah. And the uh, airbrush is my next. So I've got everything now for an airbrush um, together uh -huh. uh, at the house, and I've not picked it up yet. So um, that's that's my next play. Uh, one because I want to lay down the base colors with an airbrush, so yeah. I get a better better coat, more controllable than the spray tins. Uh, and two because uh, I got a lovely gift uh, of IJN. Um, oh, yeah. Bar Dust, 1947, from yeah. a couple of friends of mine in the U.S., namely yourself and Don. And uh, their walkers are a good size. Yeah. So it's another thing where uh, contrast won't help me, and it'll be a long time to panel paint them. So um, I picked up an airbrush. Uh, in fact, I've also picked up a Star Wars Legion ATST uh, as another big, big um, item with a lot of flat surfaces to to play around with. So yeah, I've got the time. And hopefully one day I might have the talent. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's like, you know, regular painting. It just takes practice and understanding the paints and flow. I think my compressor, my little Ninja Iowata is given out because I just could not get paint through it. And I, I thought I had it thinned down enough. You know, you want it the consistency of like uh, low fat milk, you know, skim milk. Um, right. So, and it was just not flowing right. So the paint could be old too. I haven't used those paints in a while, the automotive airbrush paints. Right. Um, so, but I definitely need to upgrade to a, a better compressor, uh, one that I can dial in pressures better and all that stuff. So I definitely will be upgrading that. So Jim, you have been awfully quiet. I know you like huh? have been off and you've been getting a ton of sleep and have not been doing much and, uh, you should be fully rested and excited. So what you up to? Um, let's see. Uh, so since last show, uh, we've done another episode of HK Ops. Um, yeah, we we have another episode of HK Ops coming up uh, tomorrow. And we've also started off our Dian Ben Fu series with um, Valor and Victory with my friend uh, Piotr over in Poland. Oh, nice. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm... We have a game later today, so if you hear a keyboard in the background, I apologize. I'm literally still writing the special scenario rules um, for that game. Um, because that's going to go, that's going to start about half an hour after we finish this recording. Yeah. Um, this game's going to be actually one of the big ones. So, so far we've done some of the French foreign legion, the Paris, uh, there was, uh, one, then later a second battalion of a uh, paratrooper, French foreign legion, um, and Dien Ben Phu. Uh, this is, you know, for anyone who might not know, uh, the climactic battle at the end of the first Indochina war. 1945 to 1954. So this is March of 1954 is when we're starting. 
And we're expanding like we always do. Uh, Valor and Victory, out of it's a native World War II setting, so to speak, into more modern settings. Uh-huh. So we've done a whole bunch of settings going all the way up to Somalia in 1993. Indochina 1954 is an easy one as far as you know rules go. Um, it's basically just nine years after World War II with hand-me-down weapons. Uh-huh. So it's really just almost like you know late war World War II. Um, there's very few, uh, weapons and rules and so on that are incompatible with, you know, I guess a usual world war two setting. Sure. Um, this one's actually pretty simple. Uh, we're playing with our usual, uh, modern rules, um, minus civilians. There were no real civilians in this, in this, uh, setting. Um, that's not entirely true, but it's close enough. Um, as far as civilians at the end, but prisoners, casualty evacuation, booby traps, things like that. So far, we've had a pretty successful game. Uh, there's a couple of parts up on our uh, our various SITREP uh, channels for our um, French Paratrooper Foreign Legion patrol game up uh-huh. in the hills northeast of Strong Point Beatrice um, in uh, in early March of 1954. That one was pretty successful. We've been gaming that sometimes on my lunch hour because, um, again, I'm working from home. So... You know, we still get a lunch hour, so I literally just go over on Skype with my friend uh, Piotr, and we just game for an hour, and we record it and put it up or whatever. And then the next day, we might do another one. This game that we're starting later on today is going to be uh, a little bit bigger. No more patrols. We're not going to do the more classic stuff um, that people tend to associate with uh, a battle like Dien Ben Phu, where um, the Viet Minh, uh, under General Giap, actually start to assault some of these French uh, and allied uh, strong points. So the first one to fall was uh, Beatrice. Um, strong point Beatrice was actually three strong points in one of the hills uh, to the northeast of uh, the Dien Bien Phu airfield. Uh-huh. And I've got a uh, pretty much, I've, we've got a battalion sized game. So you've been in a battalion sized game of Valor and Victory. You know how big they are. Oh, yeah. A, a battalion sized Valor and Victory game. Um, 428th Infantry of the 141st Infantry Regiment, 312th uh, Viet Minh Division, going up against two understrength companies. Yes, you heard that right, folks. Two understrength companies of um, French Foreign Legion. Uh, not Paris, but nevertheless, still French Foreign Legion. So they're still elite troops. Um, so, yeah, they're outnumbered a little bit less than three to one. Uh, two understrength companies equals a little bit more than one full strength company against a full uh, battalion of Viet Minh. Um, so it's going to be a nasty one for sure. However, then again, the French are in a fortified hilltop um, trench network. Uh, it's amazing how we actually have photographs of Strong Point Beatrice from the period. Um, it's amazing how much it looks like a World War One board. In fact, I went back into my 1918 World War One um, uh, assets or whatever when I built this map, and it's, it's basically a World War One table uh-huh. uh, transported over to Southeast Asia. Uh, networked trenches, lots of craters, no jungle in this second game, no jungle at all. It's all been raised to the ground. The French obviously want to clear their lanes of fire. The last thing you want to do in a jungle setting is to set up some sort of defensive fire base or a, a strong point and have the tree line like end right at your trenches. Right. Um, you, you have to clear that out because you have to make the enemy cross over a lot of open ground before they get to you. Huge belts of barbed wire. Um, we have American 30 cal and 50 caliber machine guns uh, in there. We have French light machine guns, magazine fed machine guns. It's, it's World War I um, transported into, uh, into, into French Indochina. Yeah. 
Um, so we're going to see how it goes. Um, games this size are a little tough to bounce. Games this asymmetrical are a little tough to bounce. It's one thing when you're doing a couple squads, you know, skirmer style versus maybe a platoon. Now we're talking about, um, you know, companies and battalions. So any like percentage off or uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for here? Any percentage inconsistencies or variations in your balance when you scale up and up and up and up, you can get away with a, with a 5%, you know, variance in your design when you're at a certain level, when you get up to like that level times 10, Uh that 5% variance becomes a problem. Um, so we're hoping that's not going to happen, but you know, we'll see what happens. We've got lots of Viet Minh artillery support, Viet Minh artillery at Dien Bien Phu was off the scale. It's absolutely crazy. Um, it is a night battle. Uh, General Jab did ensure that he would launch all of his assaults at night, thus taking out the advantage of French air, super- air support and uh-huh. air superiority, because planes back in those days didn't fly at night very much, at least not in a tactical sense. Um, the French still have a couple, uh, you know, a couple bits pieces of, um, of light artillery. By that I mean like some 120 and 81 millimeter mortars. But uh, yeah, it's it's the Alamo. It's you're in a fortified position. You're being hit on three sides. Um, you have the high ground. You've got the sandbags. You've got the bunkers. You've got the belt-fed machine guns. You've got the barbed wire. But here come that first wave of Viet Minh sappers. And uh, yeah, we're gonna see how it goes. That game starts in about uh, two and a half hours. Wow. Um, are you gonna have the French paratroopers in the in the game at some point? Uh, we had French paratroopers in yesterday's game. I'm oh, sorry, okay. in last week's game. Okay. Um, that was that was the uh, that was the the part of Dien Bien Phu where the French still had all their strong points, uh-huh. and they were doing the. Uh, okay, so okay, for people who might not be aware, super. I'm, I do mean it this time. Super fast. <laughs> Dien Bien Phu is an airfield in the way, way, way like nowhere near where the Americans would be fighting Vietnam War later. This is not the Vietnam War. This is Indochina War. There is a huge difference. This is way the hell up, almost near China, near China and Laos. Um, you know, the, the ass end of what would become North Vietnam. It wasn't even Vietnam yet. It was still French Indochina. And uh, there was this tiny little airfield that the French had set up, and their idea was to drop ten to 13,000 troops of various, you know, coalitions or whatever out into this airfield by air, then to continue to supply them by air. They were really playing around with operational-sized air mobile operations. Mm-hmm. Um, they even got some light armor in there, some M24 chaffies. And the idea was they were going to put this operation base way the hell back in the enemy's backfield, and then from there range out into the enemy's you know backyard, so to speak, and raise you know 13 kinds of hell. Um, it didn't work because they picked this airfield that's in a valley surrounded by mountains, and they completely underestimated how the Fran- uh, I'm sorry, how the Viet Minh were going to ring this thing with estimates between 50 and 100,000 troops. There were 100,000 people there. It depends on what you consider an actual combat soldier. There were artillery crews, there were supply troops, logistic trains. There were 100,000 people. So, in, depending on how you want to count it up, the French are outnumbered 10 to 1 at this point. Um, the Viet Minh have all the high ground. And um, they completely underestimated how much artillery the Viet Minh can get their hands on, because by now they're being supported by the Soviets and by China. And they've captured half the arsenals of the old French garrison, which is old American stuff left over from World War II, lend So, yeah, this guy's got hundreds of guns, Katyusha rockets, 57-millimeter recoilless rifles, you name it, he's got it. He's got all the high ground, he's got you surrounded, and he just starts shelling you into the center of the earth. Hmm. 
And um, so the, the French Paris that you mentioned um, in the earlier stages of the siege, this went on for months, um, said, okay, look, we have to find where these artillery batteries are. Let's send patrols up into these jungle hills, find these artillery batteries, or at the very least take prisoners uh-huh. that can let us know where these batteries are. Because the French artillery commander at Dien Bien Phu was not able to find the Viet Minh batteries. And once he did, he couldn't outrange them because his guns were too small. And again, the Viet Minh were on high ground. When enemy artillery is on high ground, he has the range on you because his shells will just by physics travel further than yours will. So eventually the colonel in charge of French artillery uh, went into his bunker with a hand grenade and took the quick way out. Um, The French, no, they did. He did. they, They literally just filled in his bunker because they didn't want to let the rest of the garrison know that he had, he, had, he was gone. Um, that's how bad things got at Dien Bien Phu. It's the Alamo times 10. It's Rourke's Drift times 100 without the happy ending. It's, you know, none of those people made it out of there. Um, we're going to see if Piotr does any better today. Uh, so one of the first big set-piece offensives where the Viet Minh started to overrun these French positions took place at uh, one of the strong points named Beatrice. Um Again, uh, <laughs> we, we talk about this a couple times during the streams. These strong points all have uh, French women's names. Legend has it they were named after the uh, mistresses of the garrison commander. <laughs> um, Beatrice, Claudine, Huguette, Isabel, Gabrielle, uh, Huguette, um, like, yeah, Dominique. There's nine of them in all. Plus he has three drop zones named after other girlfriends, Simone, Octavia, and Natasha. It's a wonder, you know, this guy, no wonder this guy lost the war. He didn't have any time to, uh, you know, lead his <laughs> troops. Uh, he's running around with 12 girlfriends. Guess what? You're going to lose the war. You need to keep your eye on the ball, dude. Um, but I mean, that's the legend. And that was what was going around at the time. Who knows if this, you know, he probably just picked out 12 names out of a hat. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, the first one to go down was Beatrice. So poor Beatrice. Uh, there were actually three assaults um, on the night of 13 to 14 March 1954. We're going to do one of them today, and even that is a, is kind of big for Valor and Victory. Um, there's a lot of pieces on this table. Um, to do all of uh, Beatrice would be the other two um Battalions of 141st NVA, I'm sorry, uh, Viet Minh Infantry. So that would be more of a panzer leader kind of a thing. But we're sticking with Valor and Victory for now. We're going to do one of the, we're going to do the first of the three assaults on Beatrice. Uh Um, And uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. And then after that, there's other strong points that go down. And finally, the big attack goes down later on in April. And I think the garrison surrenders. or I should say what's left of the garrison, finally goes down on uh, 7 May 1954. So this was all Piotr's idea. Uh, he's a big uh, Vietnam War slash Indochina fan. Uh-huh. So um, we're doing one of the parts of Vietnam that uh, we don't see a lot of attention for over here in the States. Um, it's not the American part of – it's not It's not the Vietnam War. It's the war that came before that. Right. It is a different war. It is a very different war. Um so, uh, yeah, and for Valor and Victory, it's easy because, again, it's basically World War II troops and equipment um, with some upgrades or whatever, but not too many. Um, so, yeah, we're going to see how that goes. And, uh, we'll, you know, we might be able to put some excerpts up on YouTube later on in the week. I doubt we'll finish today. So maybe we'll stream live some of the later sections earlier oh, nice. next week. I honestly can't, you know, promise anything, but sure. um, we'll, I'll try to record at least some of it. Um, yeah, and we'll see, uh, we'll see how it goes. Excellent. Excellent. 
So uh, hobby for me, uh, obviously I painted uh, the one vehicle, um, still working on it. And I've been printing some uh, six millimeter uh, modern tanks, well, 80s tanks, uh, for a, a certain rule set that uh, backers got a preview of um, a PDF copy of their rule book. Um, Ralph, did you get your copy? I did. And have you I've had a chance to read through it or at least peruse through it? I'm, I've got it open in front of us, actually. Excellent. And guys, I'm going to uh, share my screen with you so you can see it. If you let me know if you see it. Uh, yep, I see it. All right. Yeah. All right. So, what we're talking about is the new rule set of um, battle group called North Ag or North Hag, depending on where you're from in the world. Um, it's a project with Plastic Soldier Company and the uh, writers and developers of Battle Group, the rule set, which I know Jim's a big fan of. Um, you know, before we get into the meat of this rule set, Jim, what is it about Battle Group that you like a lot? Just for oh, give man. people a, t a taste. Um, well, yeah, Battle Group, and uh, we, had a, we had a discussion with Pierce uh, earlier in the year. Yeah, and I apologize. Um, we thought we were going to have him on today. But I think we have a scheduling mix-up, so we'll try and get him on another show at another time. And what we were talking about was, um, well, again, we, we knew about Battle Group. We didn't have the book at the time. This is several months ago. Yeah. And so um, he was just telling us about it. And uh, one of the points that, that he was making was that, yes, it has a lot. It shares a lot of DNA with Battle Group, uh, but it's not it's not Battle Group. Yeah. Um, however, it does bring a lot of the stuff that made Battle Group great over to uh, North Ag, um, which is Northern Army Group for people who might not know. It's for the for the moment it focuses on, it focuses on British Army of the Rhine uh, up uh, fighting a theoretical Soviet invasion of Northern Germany, Northern West Germany, I should say, uh, in, in the early to mid 1980s. So, um, what made Battle Group great? God bless. Uh, Warren asked me this question once over on, on Tabletop, and I went on for like 45 minutes, and I never got close to the answer. He finally had to kind of cut me off. He was very polite about it, though. Um, he was like, oh, so what you're saying was a really great game. I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm sorry. Um, no, it's, it's uh, number one, it's a, uh, and I always hesitate to say this because I don't want to scare people off, uh -huh. but Battle Group is a, um, it's my favorite World War II miniatures game. Um, it's it's my favorite, um, you know, within the miniature, miniature genre. Uh, as far as what makes it great, it's, uh, it, it doesn't, you know, to, to be like a big history buff or whatever, or be like a big military, uh, um, I don't want to say tactician or whatever, but you know, who, somebody who really gets into the nuts and bolts of how, you know, this stuff really works, um, how an army is really put together. It's not like a list that you can just, Oh, these are the models I have. Here's what I want to play. I mean, it, it allows you to do that if you want, uh -huh. but at the same time with the points costs and so on and so forth, it, it, encourages you um without requiring it uh that's you know it, it really does walk a, a pretty a uh, fine line and it does it with with um considerable aplomb if you ask me it rewards you for being historical and for playing a historical army however it doesn't require it gotcha. um so and then as far as how the game actually works the game has 
it really strikes a great balance at, I guess, what you could call Battlefield Chaos. So, Wargaming has a couple of really serious, uh, Wargaming in general has one or two, really two, um, essential uh, contradictions. Number one, war is never fun, but you want your war game to be fun. Number two, war is nothing but chaos. Yeah. And the one thing you don't want your war game to be is chaotic. You want a cohesive and clear and, and concise rule set without it making it feel like, oh, you go, I go. The whole German army just stopped because now it's the Russians' turn. So you have like this German army kind of standing there in a freeze frame while the Russians take their turn and, you know, the battle group gets rid of a lot of that. It gets rid of a lot of that in the turn sequence. It gets a lot rid of a lot of that in what they call their battle. Uh, what's the actual term for it? Now, battle rating counter system. Um, when I first read the rules, and I hadn't played it yet, when I read the rules for battle group, I said, this sounds too random. <laughs> this is literally this is literally like go fish with a deck of cards. You know, there's no way this is going to work as far as, you know, until you try it. And you, you draw chit so often and you pull the, and you roll orders dice so often and um, it's usually like a 2d6, kind of a bell curve kind of thing that's mostly to hit, that's mostly to penetrate armor and so on and so forth. Um, that, again, crazy stuff does happen. Yeah. But it's not like, you know, clown cars and bumper cars, you know, uh, clowns with water pistols with, with bumper cars. It's nothing like that at all. The crazy stuff happens, but it's rare enough to where it's, when something weird happens, it feels special. And uh, meanwhile, sound planning execution of basic military principles are what's really going to carry you through a lot of that game. You also have no idea when the game's going to end. It runs on what they call the battle, battle. I just had this right battle counter rating system. So your, 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 your unit has a certain battle rating, you know, from whatever, doesn't matter. Um, like from 20 to 40, some, somewhere in there, usually in most games. Um, and whenever something bad happens to you, you you know lose a unit, you get hit by an airstrike, uh, you lose a commander, you get hit with flamethrowers. You know there's a list of actual triggers. You have to draw out of this little um, you know pool of of inverted counters, blind draw, what they call a battle rating counter, and that battle rating counter is numbered from one to five, and that's how many battle rating points you lose. The enemy, see, or I shouldn't say the enemy, the opponent sees you draw that, and when you put it face down on your side of the table. You do it in such a way where the the opponent knows how many battle rating counters you've drawn, yeah, but doesn't know what that number is. So you never know how close your enemy really is to breaking. And when that you hit that battle rating, the game's over. Gotcha. Um, doesn't matter if you're winning. Doesn't matter if the enemy has one unit left. Doesn't matter if you're sitting on all the objectives. If you hit that rating, you're done. And this is where you see a lot of these old stories from World War II, where it's like, oh. The Germans were pushing the Soviets into this village. They were on the cusp of victory, but then they got orders to go do something else, or they got orders to withdraw, or the, the commander gave up because he thought he was losing. He, he never knew how close he was to absolute victory. That happens in battle group all the time. Um, and again, once in a while you can draw. So there's like there's like little consolation prizes in that uh, in that battle rating where you can draw, and you're, instead of getting a number from one to five, you get enemy vehicle breaks down, uh-huh. or enemy unit runs out of ammunition. Or enemy unit, uh, or, or an airstrike shows up, a friendly airstrike, and those things are in there, and they're in there just enough to where, as far as like not that many, the the, the devil's in the details in battle group. Uh, before I go off on another forty minute, uh, another forty minute <laughs> rant here, um, even the mix 
of those one to fives, there's only a few ones in there. There's only a few fives in there. There's a lot of twos. There's a couple fours and there's a lot of threes. So you can look at the enemy. You know, if, you, if you and I were playing a game of battle group, you knew that my rating was 40 and you're looking at where I have, you know, 15 uh, battle ratings drawn. And you're like, okay, 15 times two and a half is about 35, maybe. You know what? He's close. He's probably close. I can go ahead and risk that one last big assault, even though my own unit is a, my own force is, a, you know, about to collapse or whatever. And, um, you know, once you go ahead and, you know, make that last push or doesn't he now those 15 battle ratings that I'm drawn might be all ones and twos. Mostly. I might be a lot stronger than you think, uh-huh. or maybe I only have 10, but they're all fours and fives. You never know how close the enemy is to breaking. You know how well your unit is, you know, how close, cause you're getting screams over the radio. You're getting cries for stretcher bearers. You know exactly how much you're bleeding, but as far as the enemy goes, how much do you really know? You might hear some yelling in a foreign language. You see some fires in the tree line. You have no idea how bad you've really hurt the enemy in real combat. Right. Stuff like that, how they handle support assets. You don't just buy artillery missions. You buy priority. You know, and okay, on a priority one core level or a priority two army level or a priority three battalion level or whatever, you buy the level that you're getting your artillery support from. And that's going to be whether or not your off-board artillery is 81 millimeter mortars, 120 millimeter mortars, 105s, 155s, 203s, even you know for really big howitzers. That's whether you're at you know regiment, division, corps, army level of support. And then there's also a priority level, first, second, or third. How likely you are to get those guns, and that's what you pay your points for. Yeah. Same with airstrikes, and then it's a lot more realistic as far as making you feel like you're part of a larger battle. So anything in World War II, it's not just your table. There's 20 tables to your left and 20 tables to your right. And when you run out of battle ratings, it's like, okay, you got a call from regiment command. Stop. Turn around. Come home. But I'm almost, I'm, I'm right there. Stop. Turn around and come <laughs> home. That, that, that happens in battle group. And it can happen to your opponent, too. Um, all of a sudden, the enemy just has to leave. Um, and you really have no idea why. Again, I'm making it sound very random, and it sounds random when you read the rules, but it really, it, it's really a nice mix of uh, ingredients to where it's right, just the right blend of uh, battlefield chaos and your planning and execution and then improvisation when your plan doesn't work. You uh-huh. know, there's usual, you know, battlefield command kind of stuff. Interesting. Uh, just real quick, Skoback just commented and said, lost games of battle group due to opponent drawing a chit that emptied my tank's ammo supply. I didn't know that was a, a thing. I, um, I, it, really, I not... it really isn't. Um, you can, okay. Um, when you draw, I don't want to get into technical things about battle group because really we're not talking about battle group. Right. When you draw that counter, the ammo counter can only be used against a non-vehicle unit. Now, for a vehicle, you can get a breakdown. Maybe he meant a breakdown. That's happened to me a couple times. Oh, okay. Um, but a tank isn't supposed to run out of ammunition, I don't think. However, your tanks can run out of ammo because you do, for, for really big units like tanks, you do track ammunition. Um, so it's it's not it's not really a light game. And I'm always, I always kind of hesitate from saying, oh, this game is super realistic. It's really detailed. It's super historical accurate. Um because it's, I mean, it's, it's still a miniatures game, so it's, it's going to have those limitations. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not trying to scare anybody away. It works for casual play as well as for hardcore grognard play um, in a way that I think a lot of other systems don't. 
I mean, we can talk about games. We talk about games like, you know, Advanced Squad Leader. You can't really play Advanced Squad Leader casually. You no. can't really play no. Bolt Action. I mean, I've seen people try, and their their efforts are admirable. But playing a game like Bolt Action, you know, hardcore Grognard style, is tough. Battle Group really kind of uh, puts its arms around both worlds. And I haven't had a chance to read the North Hag rules, but I'm, I'm, I'm assuming North Hag kind of does the same thing because it's from the same people. Well, let's take a look, shall we, guys? Uh, and as a special treat to those who are following us and watching right now, we're going to share the book with you on video. So uh, this is going to be a video broadcast as well as an audio. So if you're only listening to it, we'll try and describe the pages as we go. Um, and if you're watching, um, get ready. Here we go. Okay, so I have the cover here. What are these tanks I'm looking at? They look very foreign to me. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> I will be quiet let someone else answer. I'm staying quiet. <laughs> are, are those chieftains? Yeah. Okay. They look like six millimeter chieftains. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's chieftain. Okay, so I. Uh, so is it a typical British army thing to put... Uh, Camo netting over the barrels of the the main gun. Couldn't tell you being uh, aviation platoons, right. so but it doesn't help. I know that. <laughs> um, in modern times, it might have helped back then. Um, I don't see why not. I mean, if that's potentially, if you're going to hold down, but you need to the barrel to move through the whatever you know you're firing through tree line bushes, um, it would help disguise the fact that it's uh, poking out the. Yeah. End, I suppose. Um, you know, at a glance. Yeah. Why not? It's not a lot of effort for potentially a good reward. Okay. Jim, any comments? Um, about what? A camouflage of the thermal sleeve of the gun barrel? I... Uh, lots of people do it, um, okay. especially back in the 80s. Okay. Um, there's no real harm to, uh, to the gun. Um, again, with modern ballistics, it might be a little bit less. As far as being physically, or I should say visually spotted out of a Soviet tank turret, um, that's going to be a lot tougher yeah. uh, to, to, to justify. Um, because, you're, I mean, if you've ever been, I've been inside uh, a T-55, I've been inside a T-72. Um, yes, I actually did squeeze my fat ass into a T-72. It was, holy crap, I don't know how anybody fights inside those things. Um, they need a little bit of baby oil and baby powder to get me in and out of that turret. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but the idea of fighting and again, Soviet doctrine is always to fight buttoned up. So, um, it is not easy, uh, to see anything from inside of a tank. Hmm. So visually, are you going to hide anything from that? Again, tanks 95% of the time are not fighting. No matter what we see in war games, sorry, war gamers, 95% of the time tanks are not fighting other tanks. They're fighting something else or they're being attacked by something else. Yeah. Um, so as far as what these guys have to watch out for, there's also infantry teams and BMP crews with AT fives. Um, and there's also, you know, helicopter gunships and you know, who knows what else. So again, this is 1983. Um, the Americans, West Germans and British and other NATO forces were well into the age of uh, thermal sighting. Uh, against which this um, camouflage on the thermal sleeve does exactly nothing. But uh, how advanced were the Soviets in 1983 as far as their uh, their thermal sights? Probably not very much. It might have helped a little, at least until your first fire. Again, the British are fighting mostly defensive. 
um, of all the Americans and the West Germans, mm-hmm. NATO is pretty much on the defense in most of these 1980s theoreticals um, scenarios. So you're hauled down or you're in a tree line um, and the enemy's coming at you and you're going to get that first shot. You want to make sure you get that first shot. Because with the, the lethality of modern weapons, again, 80s is not really modern anymore, but with the lethality of these kind of weapons, he who shoots first shoots last. I mean, it's you don't miss, and you, the enemy does not survive when you hit. So getting that first round in is critical, absolutely critical. Um, anything that allows you to stay hidden long enough for you to get the enemy under your gun sights and to get that first good volley of anti-tank shells in against Soviet armor is going to be is going to be crucial. I think the other thing is satellites weren't really up and running either. So you're looking at aerial spot. Yeah as well as infantry. So anything to break up straight lines, you know, the shape. Mm-hmm. It's all part of the, the camo, isn't it? You know, yeah. shape, oh, yeah. shadow, silhouette, that's, all the shine. That, that's all a, the that's a very good point. Yeah, extremely good point. People tend to think the camouflage is about color. It's got nothing to do with color. It's about breaking up the outline of that view of, of anything. Yeah. Your helmet, your the front of your rifle, the front of your gun, anything that breaks up the silhouette. Because when the eye is scanning, looking for the enemy, your your brain is processing for certain shapes, certain shapes that are key to danger, you know, an enemy's helmet, an enemy's rifle barrel at the end of a gun barrel of a tank or something like that. Anything that breaks up that, that outline. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that. I mean, if anything, he's got, he's kind of skinny. I've seen pictures of, uh, especially West German, West German leopards, where it looks like a bush with tracks, you know, um, <laughs> how effective that was. I don't know. It, it looks kind of funny, but you know, Hey, if it allows you to get in that first crucial five or six seconds at the beginning of a prospective tank engagement, um, it was worth it. Yeah. All right. So uh, this game is set in, uh, obviously, West Germany in 1983. That seems to be the commonality of um, these games because Team Yankees, roughly the same year. Is it 83, 84, if I'm not mistaken? Um, Team Yankee is 5 August 1985. Oh, 85. Okay. So this one, if you look at the intro, it, it, they do a really nice job of setting the, the stage. Uh, you know, it talks about Reagan and, you know, the Star Wars, the SDI initiative, um, you know, and how that affected the Soviets and how they felt that, you know, now the United uh, States had the upper hand. Um, you know, I'm just going to go through it because I don't want to give away all the stuff. But, uh, you know, and then the uh, Red Army begins, as they call it, the Red Army begins major exercises in Ukraine and Belarusa and, um, you know, with the 5th and 7th Guards tanks armies. That sound right to you, Jim's 5th and 7th Guards? Um, I'm not up on my Soviet stuff other than I know what to kill, so I'm not sure on the actual units. I honestly, I've never heard of those two exact armies. 8th was down by, 8th Guards was down by us in southern East Germany, Czech Republic. 2nd Tank, 3rd Shock, 20th Tank were up north. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure with what was going on up North, so I might not be uh, completely accurate on that. Um, I'm pretty sure they stopped calling it the red army in 1947. <laughs> um, RKKA, the red army of workers and peasants. I'm pretty sure they just became like this, the Soviet, Soviet army. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then specifically here, this is the next level up from the army he's talking about. Remember again, actually, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Ukraine and Belarus, fifth and seventh guards armies. Okay, that's that's a totally different set of armies. Oh, okay. Um, than, than we would be looking at in in a group of Soviet forces in Germany, GSFG. Um, that's what the British would have been mostly going up against. Uh-huh. And you've got um, northern group of Soviet forces that's mostly a reserve element in extremely north part of Germany, extending back into Poland. And then there's central group of Soviet forces that's in the southern part of uh, extreme southern part of East Germany down in the Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia in those days. And that is what we would have been fighting a little bit more of the West German third Corps, fifth and seventh U S Corps down in like, you know, Bavaria, Würzburg, Frankfurt, Fulda gap, stuff like that. But this is further North. So, um, I, I, I'm a feeling that, uh, the fifth and seventh, um, unless again, it's a theoretical war. So maybe they kind of made up, you know, a little bit of a setting here, but the fifth and seventh guards tank armies, um, they, they're not really presenting these as the ones that would have been in Northern part of uh, West Germany. Uh-huh. Those I'm pretty sure were the second, 20th, third shock and eighth guards further South. Um, and there's a bunch of other ones I'm probably forgetting in there, which five and seventh might be, might be among them. Gotcha. Okay. Um, let's see here. Then it says, you know, that they tried to do a diplomatic approach. The Soviets did not respond. Uh, they had exercises, you know, which led to a collision between warships. Um, and then on, let's see here. Uh, June 11th at 2.35 a.m., Soviet and East German Spetsnaz commando units and sleeper cells executed their orders for disruptive raids across European members of NATO, targeting airfields, munition dumps, nuclear weapons storage areas, and command and control hubs, which is 100% accurate. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. um, they also attacked major rail, uh, railway marshalling yards because, you know, in Europe, railways are huge. Um, bridges... Um, before dawn, the first preparatory bombardments crashed down along the German and Austrian borders. As bombs and missiles rained down, the first line of Warsaw-packed armored divisions move up to their jumping-off points on the borders. And then the invasion of Western Europe begun, and that's where the rules start. So it's a really nice background. I, I really thought they did a really nice job putting in a lot of real uh, realism elements to it. Um, you know, they talk about Reforger, which, if I'm not mistaken... Um, Reforger, they've really started cranking back up on that. I heard they were moving a lot of equipment back over to Europe. Um, you know, I don't know if that was the tensions that, you know, between uh, the Soviets and Russia now uh, and the Americans, you know, over around wintertime when things got a little hot and heavy. So um, I know they're doing some new, uh, whether well, they were supposed to before all the COVID stuff started, so... Um, we did Reforger years ago uh, with the 82nd. We went over for a while to do some stuff. Um, so it's very interesting. Hey, your friend yeah, has I, joined I, us, Jim. My friend has joined us? Yeah, your your, your uh, combat mate, who you'll be playing later today, has joined us. Oh, cool. So, Hello, Mr. Piotr. I hope you're ready for a nice big ass whipping in the uh, battle of victory today. Trash <laughs> no, talk starts. So, Gaz, as a member of the uh, British military forces currently, yeah, do you guys um, still, you know, without giving away anything you're not supposed to, do you guys still get uh, train up on a possible 
Eastern European conflict, or is it mostly, you know, real-world conflicts as we see them now? So every year, as part of a NATO exercise, uh, a number of countries uh -huh. do exercises close to the Russian border. Okay. I was going to say, uh, if it goes down, it's not around, going down in Germany anymore. I yeah. think last year was around 45,000 troops. Wow. Um, and that's like a yearly thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the last couple of years, Brits have been in Estonia, for example, which is the corridor from one part of the uh, peninsula to another, shall we say. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, there's always a NATO presence. So, essentially, it's, it's very similar in the field to this. Okay. Uh, both sides do exercises within sight of the border, you know, within reason. So, aircraft will push close to borders. I don't think anything's ever crossed. It's many ways. It's like we get the, the Soviet bears, you know, flying over the north of the UK and different parts of Europe. I yeah. imagine America gets the odd one as well. Um, so, it's... Um, yeah, it's a uh, hello, we're still here, uh, just in case. Um, obviously, tensions changed quite a lot with Ukraine and Georgia uh -huh. in the last decade with um, quite heavy movement and actual tank engagements in the streets. Uh, I don't know if you had much info on that. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot of power plays and, you know, there's a lot of making sure everybody's ready and knows where they want to go and how we're going to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a yearly, it's a yearly exercise for NATO. So awesome. I'm sure. And, and at the same time, normally Russia are doing the same thing on the other side. Awesome. You're talking about tank engagements in the streets. Are you talking about Ukraine 2014, 15? Uh, no, earlier. I think uh, Georgia had an incident where um, Georgia. Well, yeah, well, there's, there's two wars in Chechnya in 95 and 2004. Not a war. Just a literally within like a couple of over a couple of days. And then Georgia was 2008. Yeah. And there then, was... um, yeah, then there's the, the obviously the latest in the Ukraine. Yeah, it was the earlier one. Um, so, you, you know, I remember seeing the news footage of the destroyed tanks in the streets and they were all moderns. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't nobody was pulling punches that day, shall we say. No. What, you, what you see in uh, Ukraine. Uh, in 2014, 15, and uh, sadly, it's it's still simmering. It's not at the levels it used to be, uh, but um, you see, uh, this is where you can use a system like this in a in a non theoretical setting if you wanted to, because a lot of these tanks are still the same. I mean, you mentioned earlier before we fired up the stream, uh, G, some of your tanks were T64s and T80s. When the Soviet Union fell apart, the different republics, former Soviet republics wound up with different, you know, I mean, this goes into like the whole branching tree of Soviet tank evolution. And so you would wind up with, in the Ukraine, Russian or Russian-supplied T-72s and T-90s. That's sort of like the left arm of that branch of evolution. Uh -huh. um, up against T-64s and T-80s, which, air quotes, genetically uh, are similar. That's that right-hand branch of Soviet tank evolution. And the Ukrainians still have upgraded T-64s. They have the brand-new T-80s. They have the T-84, which is basically they're, they're continuing to develop that uh, system of tanks or whatever, that, that lineage of tanks, that tech tree almost, to put it in gaming terms. Because when the Soviet Union fell apart, all the T-64 factories and the T-80 factories were mostly in Kharkov, mm. right there in Ukraine. Soviets pretty much lost the ability to build their own tanks because all their factories are now in other countries. 
So, or that particular tree of, of tanks. So all those other tanks you see are T-72s and T-90s and that evolution branch. And of course, now you've got the T-14, which is something totally new. Um, those are the tanks that you saw slugging it out in those, you know, areas of Donbass. Um, in, uh, you know, Donbass, northern Ukraine, some of these old World War II battlefields, Slovysk was another bad one, up in, uh, you know, 2014-2015. So it's it's scary how easily you can take something like Northag and use it in a more, uh, you know, a, in a more real world or, you know, less hypothetical kind of a setting. Yeah. The, the, what started that war was the election of a certain president there in Kiev, capital of the Ukraine, and one of his platforms one of the planks in this platform was i want to join the eu and that's pretty much stage one of joining nato and the one-third of ukraine that is ethnically russian said oh no i don't think so and that's literally <laughs> when the war started is the uh, the prospect of the ukraine joining the eu and then by implication maybe in 10 or 15 years you know, becoming an actual NATO state. The idea of NATO expanding steadily eastward, this is why I wanted to talk about Reforger and where it was actually taking place. It's not, I don't think it's taking place, I don't know, because I'm not there anymore, but I seriously don't think it's taking place in West Germany anymore. First of all, there is no West Germany. Right. Because Germany's nowhere near the front line anymore. Poland is now a NATO state. The Baltic states that Gaz was mentioning, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, those are all NATO states. Uh Those are three former Soviet republics. Part of the Soviet Union are now NATO states, and we wonder why Putin gets anxious when NATO starts saber-rattling. I mean, I don't want to take the Russian side here, but this is the reason uh, the Russians get so – their their paintings get in a twist really, really fast because that blue-red line – I mean, if you look at a map from 1980 to 1995 to 2005 to the present, has moved eastward at a freakish pace. And the idea that Ukraine could be an EU member and possibly even a NATO member, uh, you would have theoretically German tanks with black crosses on them in the streets of Kharkov. There are people in the Soviet Union that have really bad memories of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's not hit that too hard on the hammer. So or let's not hit that nail too hard. But that's why these people get – or that's part of the reason why these people get so – because there's uh, still quite a few people that remember those times. So, and, and the idea, the, the idea of Soviet Union, what used to be a former, what used to be a Soviet parts of the Soviet Union, yeah. are now actually in NATO. Yeah. And German tanks, American tanks, British air helicopters are now in Poland, in Estonia, and Lithuania. That that freaks people out over there yeah. in a big, big way. Um, and of course, there's other factors, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's where stuff like Northag could. Uh, I, I don't want to say it, but it, it, you know, that, that's where that possibility comes from. Is is that is that tension? So you could almost do the what ifs now. You know, you could use these rules to do what ifs. So, uh, taking a quick look at the rules, I just wanted to highlight uh, one of the paragraphs on the page that's on the screen right now, and that's the last paragraph on page six. Um, just it briefly just says that. You know, this is a new game. While players who've played Battle Group for World War II will find a lot of things they recognize, there's a lot of things that are different. Um, you know, different field character to the tabletop, speed up play for new, slightly larger scale games, uh, which we'll talk about in a bit. And then uh, outside of conventional battles, you're going to have electronic warfare, uh, reliance on air assets. Uh, there's could be chemical, nuclear, biological warfare. Um, air defense is up, you know. So a lot of those factors that you didn't really see in World War II 
are now in play. So it creates a whole new game. So I, I'm yeah, really I remember he was that. talking. It's 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 a larger like battle group was usually platoon, maybe company. And then if you really want to get ambitious with the team play, you might be able to squeeze out a battalion. Yeah. But that would be like with like a team of like four or five players on each side of the table. Um, I think we were, we were talking with Pierce um, earlier in our earlier episode. He was like, okay, we're going to start at company battalion and then maybe our work our way up from there. So it's bigger games, but the end, the scale is down to 10 millimeter. Yeah. Which is one, uh, one pretty important uh, thing we should probably mention. Gee, if you dropped it to page 10. Yep. Yep. Go ahead. Um, on the, on there, it's on about air basing, which is interesting. Talking about basing that a bit, you know. Why don't and, you um, Why don't you hit on it, Ralph? Um, Bring us through. So it. he's got notes on basing. How infantry is based doesn't really have much of an impact in the game. Uh huh. So a base can be two, three, or four men, and basically a team when it's damaged is either combat effective or combat ineffective. And if it's ineffective, it's removed, but doesn't necessarily mean everybody on the base is dead. Uh-huh. Um, and then he's got notes in that section on notes on a unit company, um, unit, a platoon and a company. So he's got a description of what it means by that. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's talking about sizes, of course. You know, the, we know that PSG are doing uh, 10 millimeter miniatures to go with this. But if someone's got this book and has a bunch of Team Yankee miniatures, it's written for 10 or 15 mil. Yep. Yep. Which is really, which is interesting. So you could pick up your team Yankee and use them. Um, and then he's on about game sizes. And what's interesting, they've got a point cost. So add a table size. Uh-huh. So if you look at the very bottom of that page, down about a platoon is 500 points to be done on a six by four table. Yep. Then you go to company, which is 750 points on a six by six or six by eight. And then he's talking a thousand point games, which is battalion level on a 10 by six or larger. Yeah. Uh, also, if you noticed on his notes on the sizes of the miniatures used, besides the 10 mil and the 15, uh, yeah. he does talk about you. Uh, it can be played uh, easily with six mil micro armor um, with no changes at all. Uh, if anything, the ranges become more realistic. And then it, they go on to say 20 mil and 28 can be played um, if you have the space to do so. Obviously, you need larger battlefields. Um, and if you find the ranges too small, they tell you how to adjust for ranges. So that's yeah. why I'm printing 6 mil, um, just to see how it plays out at that range, You know, saying that, that it's going to be more realistic. And I know we've talked about that many a times, about ranges and um, oh, yeah. you know, that you know scale size. So I, I like how they address that in this book as well. And I like how they do the game size and the recommended minimum size table. So. Oh yeah, can I quickly yeah, just say something course. about that? Dear God, thank you for putting in <laughs> how big the table should be. Is this just me? Am I just stupid? Because I have the last four or five miniature game rules I've read. They don't tell you how big the table should be. No. Now I know they want to leave it kind of open because they don't want to be restrictive. They want to keep it kind of agnostic or whatever. But um, at least give us a hint. Yeah. You know, as far as you know, how big your table should be, because otherwise you have no idea. Like I had a big problem with that with Air War C twenty one. The first table I played, the planes like literally your first movement phase, they're almost colliding because my table was nowhere near big enough. I'm like, God damn it! You know, tell me how big the table should be, or at least give me like a range. Um, and again, it's so you know, huge thanks for that. Uh, I know it's a small detail, but it's kind of important. Um, the table's like the, the biggest thing in your game is literally your game, and then also. Um, this is something about uh, you know th this company's always done. 
is, um, you know, been, you know, sort of aimed at a certain scale, but at the same time made very, very easy accommodations yeah. uh, to be kind of scale agnostic. Usually click up one level or down one level. Battle Group was mostly written for 20 mil, but you could do it in 28 or 15. I always played it in 15. And now we have, um, you know, here we have 10. And it's like, okay, but you can also play it in 6. Uh, and you can also play it in 15. And I'm with you, G. Whenever I play almost any miniature game, I'm not usually a huge miniatures guy, but when I do... I feel like the the, uh, the the beer commercial guy. I don't always drink beer, but when I do, um, <laughs> but when I, you know, whenever I actually play a miniatures game, it's always okay. What scale is written for? Okay, click down one. Yeah. This is a twenty-eight millimeter game. I'm gonna play it in fifteen or twenty. Yeah. This is a ten millimeter game. I'm gonna play it in six. So, uh, yeah, that's that's really nice. Uh, let's catch up on some comments from people that are joining us. Uh, Skoback says, "I have only seen table size and cruel seas from Warlord and Battle Group." Um, I thought bolt action gives you a play field size. Does it not? I, I, you know, it's been so long since I've played. I think in a lot of games, it's actually in the scenario. In the scenario. More than it's in okay. the core rule set. Okay. Do so the scenario often dictates okay. it. Okay. Doesn't Team Yankee, isn't it, Jim? Correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm wrong a lot, but isn't Team Yankee a 4x4 four four play field, typically? Um, it, it was at the Team Yankee boot camp that we attended. Okay, okay. Um, those tables were admitted to be a little small. Yeah. I think it's normally four by six. Okay. All right. Uh, Piotr says uh, Poland was never a Soviet republic. Um, and then he said that's true. The table size should be provided. So, but. Okay, wait, wait. What was, that? What was the first part of that? Poland was never a Soviet republic. I don't think I ever said it was. If I said it was, I do apologize. Yeah. Poland was definitely a member of the Warsaw Pact, but I was kind of mentioning Ukraine, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, all in like the same sentence. So Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Ukraine, definitely Soviet republics. Poland, definitely not. That said, in those days, Poland was uh, part and parcel of uh, Warsaw Pact and a huge staging ground for, again, a s northern group of Soviet forces. Uh, that's like the reserve for a group of Soviet forces in Germany. Yeah. So not a member of uh, not a Soviet Republic, but um, probably one of the biggest uh, non-Soviet uh, members of Warsaw Pact. Yeah. Uh, then he goes on to say a four by four is a car park, and we definitely experienced that at the Team Yankee boot camp when you had uh, the Soviet Army on there. I mean, it was just tanks everywhere, and you had no room to maneuver. It was basically you were just shooting each other across the table. I set up my six hind gunships, which are gorgeous, <laughs> but I set up those six hind gunships on my four foot table. Uh -huh. The rotors on those things are like 17 inches across. Yeah. Or so, so they literally did not have room to set them up in a row. Yeah. They were like, the, the, the rotors were like interleaved with each other. Like, yeah, I, I could totally see this happening. Maybe they're at different altitudes or something. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> But again, you know, it's a great event. They wanted to have as many it was people fun. that they It had was a lot there. of fun. Oh, God, that was awesome. Yeah. And um, again, I, 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 that's still one of my favorite interviews with you, G. It was the first interview I ever did with you. Oh. Uh, you, you and me and Bruce Lee did an episode. And the yeah. first question you asked us was, why? Why, Ariskini? Why did you play the Soviets? I said, six hind gunships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but why? I said, six hind gunships. And he said, fine, for being the, yeah. giving me the stupid answer. Does he yeah, turned over to Bruce Lee. You would get you throw over to Bruce and you say, uh, so why did you pick the Soviets? He's like, if I'm being honest, the exact same reason. Six <laughs> hind gunships. Uh-huh. 
All right. So, um, okay. So I wanted to look at the preset orders. I, what I like, and again, I have not played Battle Group, so I don't know if this is a change from Battle Group World War II to this edition, but you yep. have an option when you're doing your orders to either do a preset based on platoon, company, battalion size, or you can roll d uh, D6 dice and add your officers to your role to determine how many orders you are able to play. <laughs> Hello. Is, Go ahead. How can we have that, hey. as well? PS has joined us. Oh, hey! Oh. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Um, super quick, just to answer that question. Uh, in Battle Group, it used to be the 2-6, 3-D-6, 4-D-6, but uh, what most players were doing was just kind of... Oh, I have, you know, the average roll on 2d6 is 7. The average roll on 3d6 is a 10.5. Just round it up to 11. You pretty much would just grab, you know, a number. And you would use that. So I think this is uh, the, the, the rule set sort of like saying, oh, this is how a lot of people are playing the game. Let's uh -huh. just go ahead and include that as a rule. So I like so, you yeah, have the option addition. of uh, choosing either way, doing the, the preset or doing dice roll. I, I think it gives a little bit of... Um, a fog of war, you know, is there a communication breakdown if you do the dice roll versus presets? Um, so I, I think that's really interesting. This, option. this is one of those rules that looks when you read it and you haven't played the game looks really random. It uh -huh. really isn't because it's through, like your most games are going to be companies. So it's companies, 3d six plus officers. You usually have like four or five officers. So what's your range really? I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot less random than it sounds. Yeah. But again, the preset orders is a great addition. Awesome. Piers, welcome to the show. I appreciate oh, yeah. you joining us. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. <laughs> and I have to say, uh, we once we got the link to download the book and we've been reading through it, I'm like, oh, yeah. So uh, I know I'm still waiting on my you know, uh, models to come in. But in the meantime, I've been uh, printing off some uh, six millimeter uh forces to give it a play test so uh, i'm really excited about that and we were just talking i don't know if you caught it or not but we were talking about how we liked that you uh mentioned the different scale sizes and table sizes based on the uh army size you know whether it's platoon company or battalion so we we like that you include all those things in the book yeah yeah well it works it works at any scale really yeah. um it, it's it's kind of aimed for six mil and ten mil and fifteen mil, um, and, and you, I guess you could play it in twenty mil, but you'd you'd want a fairly big table, I think, because uh -huh. just the way the, the tanks are arranged, because you, you you buy them in groups of ten for the Russians, so ten twenty mil tanks just takes up a lot of space, doesn't it? Yeah. You know? Although I'm sure there's somebody will do it in twenty eight mil. Just wait and see. <laughs> well. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's <clears throat> it's it's finally nice to see it uh, finished, as it were. You know. I, I I'm just impressed of the photography that you do in, you know, all your stuff. But just you know, looking at I'm just looking at some uh, Soviet armor here on a picture you got coming down a country road and you know, in through a field and a hind in the background. Are all the models we're seeing in the picture going to be the models that people will be receiving, or are these like private collection? Uh, I, I think the only vehicles might be the Chieftains, might be the only ones that are actually the PSE ones, because okay. PSE just hadn't got stuff made when we had to do the photos because we were so, <clears throat> we were so sort of out of sync with the book 
work being done and then PSC trying to get models made that gotcha. um, most of the stuff you see in the book is, is 10 mil um, from Warwick's and my collections. And it's mainly time cast and minifigs with a few Pendragon bits here and there. Okay. Um, but no, they're, it's, they're interesting the photograph as well because it's, it's something new for us to go down such a scale because obviously all the battle group books are photographed with 20 mil models um so it it took us a little bit of time to work out how to photograph something a lot smaller <laughs> i love the depth of field in that photograph that's something that's yeah. really tough to do on a table <clears throat> yeah well that's warwick he's he's got a knack for depth of field you know <laughs> he's got quite good at it now he's done quite a few photos <laughs> So we we're just uh, reviewing the book and, you know, just starting <laughs> off and, um, you know, Jim has played Battle Group quite a bit and I haven't had that much opportunity to. So we we're just doing comparisons and contrasts um, and just talking about, you know, that this rule set, even though it's set in the 80s, could still be used today in some theories, uh, you know, with modern NATO exercises, you know, and the what ifs, if if it was, you know, Poland or um, things like that. So, yeah, I mean, the 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 aim of the book was to 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 be something similar to Battle Group, but it's um it's kind of evolved into a, a slightly different game, I suppose. Uh -huh. um, there's there's a lot of similarities. Anybody that's played Battle Group will will certainly notice the similarities, but they'll probably also uh, have a bit of a hard time at first getting their head around the differences um, because it feels so familiar. You assume certain things, and I I noticed it when we did play testing, is that you um, because you're so used to playing Battle Group. The, you just assume that the answer to the query that you've got in your head at the time when you're playtesting was the battle group answer, but certain things are slightly different. So <clears throat> battle group players will find it very easy to get into, and then they'll sort of pick up all, all these little nuances that are different. Um, things, things like the fire orders, you only fire once per turn. Um, the objectives are slightly different. So there's all little bits and pieces like that scattered through it that have that have been sort of changed to get a feel of a better feel for the for the time period um and also allow the game to be sort of stepped up in the amount of uh, forces being used because really the north Ag forces are a sort of scale above where most battle group games would be mm -hmm. on an average yeah. you know um because whereas in in battle group you might have a platoon or two platoons of infantry and some support the the whole focus of uh, of North Ag really is is around the sort of company sized engagement. So it's it, it's a couple of companies of tanks and a couple of platoons or three platoons or a, a full company of infantry being used by the Russians. You know, so so it's a little order of magnitude bigger. So the the rules are slightly changed to to cope with that because if you'd taken basic uh, battle group mechanics and tried to use it for 20 30 tanks at a time on a table you'd be um you'd be playing it for a day and a half probably <laughs> yeah yeah, I yeah um, one thing we, we were talking about um in some of some of the earlier writing or i think it was for team yankee at the time but um is how different world war three would have been from world war two in obviously all the technology is very different but how unprepared everybody was for world war two 
Obviously, the Allies were all unprepared. The Germans were woefully unprepared. They expected that war to kick off in the mid-40s. They had to invade Poland with mostly, not mostly, but with a significant number of tanks they stole from the, the from the Czechs. I mean, it was it was terrible. They would, you know, they were still <laughs> using Mark ones and all the stuff like that. World War Three in the 1980s. Everyone has been gearing up for for 40 years, and the in World War Three, the intensity. Even leaving out nukes and chemical weapons and all that crazy stuff, just conventional forces on the ground, the intensity that World War III would have hit on Germany is yeah. absolutely yeah. – add a couple zeros. Never mind the technology, just the numbers, how much ammo everybody had. I mean everyone was pouring billions of dollars a year into this for 40 years. And the expenditures were – I've seen numbers, something like World War III in Central Europe would have cost a trillion dollars a day. Um, it would have been absolutely astronomical as far as, you know, the, so this is where, you know, yeah, battle group, I should say, um, North Hag almost doesn't have a choice. It has to click up at least one level on the, on the echelon ladder, um, where you're playing on the company and battalion level instead of at the platoon and company level, you have to take that staircase at least one because there's no skirmishing in mm-hmm. Germany in 19, 1980s. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so we have a question from one of the people on the chat, and uh, Piotr is asking, when will it be available for wider public uh, purchase because he missed out on the uh, pre-order? Uh, good question. It was due to be released at Salute on the 18th. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, now, we, as far as I know, PSC was still aiming for the 18th. Um, and that, they were aiming for that up until two weeks ago um, when the UK lockdown started um, for this for virus thingies. And um, they're, they're slightly, I don't think they have a release date yet. They're still aiming for, for the mid-April. But I suspect they've had, because they've had to go down to only one person in their factory. So obviously their production of the Sirecast moulds and models has slowed down mm-hmm. um, because they can only have one person at a time um, in the entire premises now due to the, the working restrictions. Um, and the printers have got the book and it's being printed, but the printers, again, they also have to reduce their staff to to make sure they've got this social distancing and everything. So they're not sure last time i spoke to them last week they as i say they're still aiming for for april mid-april this sort of 18th 19th i I suspect it will probably slip back maybe towards the end of april maybe into may um but i can't see it being any longer than that because as i say the book's already being printed um pretty much all the models that are on the pre-order certainly all their master molds are made um and i think bar I think the British infantry and maybe a couple of smaller vehicles, pretty much everything else is, is being produced to the, to build the stock up, to send out to the backers. Um, and then obviously they'll, they'll have to then build up stock again for the retail release. So I, I suspect it will be towards the end of April, beginning of May. Awesome. Um, yeah. I don't think it'll be that long. I mean, I know PSC are quite keen to get it out because obviously um, from their point of view, I don't know if you know, PSC's, uh, has their hard plastics produced at another factory. They don't do it in-house. Um, and that factory is closed down because of this COVID-19 um, stuff. So obviously the the only new releases that PSC have got is stuff that they can do in-house. Um, so, so North Ag is 
is one of those things that's sort of going to be its main release really to to get it through this spell over the summer so i know they're pretty keen to get it out and get people playing it you know so yeah i I suspect end of april beginning of may for for retail release the backers obviously they'll get their books and their models probably a week or two before then so shouldn't be too long really i don't think (laughs) i'm excited i cannot wait so um i'm really looking forward to it it's uh well it's it's nice to have a cold war game that that feels a bit different to just playing world war two with different tanks you know i got Um, you on that one yeah i think that's that's the key thing is to is it does feel different to playing battle group world war ii um i think what people find is once they've played it they're going to want a world war ii version of this (laughs) to play to play much bigger world war ii games um you know, so and we're kind of looking at that. I've been talking to PSC about that, and PSC are going to do some ten mil um, plastic tanks to see to see if it's viable that we can bash out a load of ten mil tanks. And then, obviously, if we can produce the tanks for it, then maybe we'll do some rules for it. You know, um, because there's 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 nice things in the system that you can see. Um, I think one of the things every every person who plays world war ii battle group will instantly steal from north ag is the new way objectives work um which is things like the um you have vital objectives that are worth more points and then you have like home objectives and, and you're in in your baseline and, and the enemy's baseline they're all they're all staggered at different chip values mm-hmm. um so it it plays very differently because of that and it also makes objectives very key on the battlefield um to a player because you can i mean you 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 can play a turn with just on just an objectives that you you could force your opponent to take upwards of four or five maybe even six or seven chits in a turn um which is quite a lot if you say the the, the objective system is gonna I, i haven't read the rules yet but it sounds like it would click into the battle rating counter system yeah, it will. You, it, the, only, the only slight difference is the um, the armies because they're bigger in North Ag uh, have have bigger BR, um, so their battle rating is that bit bigger. So um, they could they can take quite a few chips before they start to worry. So you'd probably tweak it a little bit, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's like anything in battle group. It will it will drop right in. And to be honest, that idea with objectives came from. Um, some of the historical scenarios that we've written for battle group where certain objectives are worth more chits than another. So, you know, it's all, it all cross pollinates from one to the other, really, you know? So, so yeah, I think it, people will take that and use it in world war two and, and there'll probably be other little bits and pieces, maybe not the bit about nuclear weapons, but you know, the other bit. Yeah. Can, Pierce, can you explain the uh, platoon orders versus the company orders rule a little bit? I know because I'm looking at the company orders and it says Warsaw Pact only, and the mm-hmm. platoon orders are NATO and Warsaw Pact. Is that kind of your answer to the um, Soviet? What did we call it? The tide of yeah, it, yeah. We we kind of, I think I think one of the issues we had with uh, with how the Russians worked is um, they're always portrayed as a very. I mean. They're a conscript force, and they're always portrayed as pretty much quite useless and only able to adopt this sort of human wave kind of thing, you know? Um, and I, when we've looked at stuff and read 
different bits and pieces, we, we kind of could see that, but also they should have the ability to be more nuanced and, and actually be able to fight quite a, you know, a sophisticated battle because the Russians did at the end of World War Two, And, you know, you can see that they've evolved slightly to where they are in, in this Cold War period. Uh, and obviously the, the Russians are held back by the quality of their troops. Um, and the, the company order thing is just that. It allows it allows a Warsaw Pact player to to issue a large number of orders to it, so an order to an entire tank company uh-huh. at the cost of a lot less orders than it would be to each tank individually. So instead of it costing you 10 orders, it costs you like four. Okay. But you're prescripted in what you can do. So you can either sort of rush forwards or you can do this sort of advance and fire. So they can, you can either get all your tanks storming forwards at full speed or you can move them forward and then open fire. Um, so it, so it's, it's quite good for the Russians just to sort of push themselves into a, into a position. It, it becomes limiting in the fact that there's only certain things you can do. So you have to be very careful when you use it and when you don't use it because because it, it applies to the entire company so you, you can't use it for like eight of your tanks and say i want to do something different with these so you you give the orders to the company so once you it, it's good for crossing areas of ground when you've you know you've got a big flat german plane to cross uh, um and the british are dug in on the other side but when you're trying to negotiate a russian tank company around uh, around an urban area, it, it becomes much more difficult to use the, the company orders, and then you have to start issuing orders individually in a Russian army, and that's and that's when you notice the lack of Russian orders starts to to come into play. Oh, okay. So, so the Russians in these big sort of sweeping advances can be very good and very fast, uh, and use a lot less orders. But as soon as you get into this sort of nitty gritty close in fighting, where companies are split up and you want you know you want three of your t64s to go and get that and you want another two t64s to go up that road and and sweep around the back of that house you you then lose the ability to use these all-encompassing orders and and that's when the russian uh sort of lack of orders compared to nato will come into play so it, the idea is that it, it reflects the fact that, that NATO is probably slightly better at these close-in initiative-based encounters where they'd be running into each other, and the Russians are able to do these big sweeping advances when they can, you know, throw the whole company forward. That's, uh, that's, Soviet, that's Soviet Army doctrine, um, this, especially back in the 80s. Uh, it's a difference not only in the quality of the troops, but even more importantly, NCOs and junior officers. Uh, especially junior mm. officers. Um, gee, you might notice this difference. Um, a Soviet tank company is not run by a captain. It's run by a senior lieutenant. And then a Soviet captain doesn't command a company. He's the XO of a battalion. And the battalion commander is only a major um, in most units or whatever. And so you wind up with uh, times and situations where the Soviets don't have – I mean, their soldiers are – I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're like usually two-year conscripts. Um, but honestly, back in the 80s, a lot of American uh, and you know other NATO forces were only slightly better than that. I think the real difference is, and this is what the game does, it sounds like it does really, really well, is that, that difference in the quality of, um, what's the word here, uh, field-grade officers, company and field-grade officers, lieutenants, yeah. captains, majors, lieutenant colonels. 
Yeah, yeah, that that's where the difference is. It's in, it's it, it's trying to reflect that leadership differently. Sort of almost almost difference between professional officers, um, and and that sort of more amateur officer, or or certainly the officer who doesn't quite have as much training as as the other side. So the the NATO forces are a lot more flexible, but there's a lot less of them. And the Russians are the, the Soviets are much more at their best when they're used on mass. Um, but once you start getting into the nitty gritty of engagements, they they can suffer from a lack of orders. Um, and but again, that that's also offset about what you guys were talking about with the the the, the option to pre-select a certain amount of orders instead of rolling for it. Mm-hmm. You know, so you you can balance things out. It's, it, the idea is to give players a, a, a way of it's you know whether you risk it rolling for the dice and hopefully getting loads or if you take the safe option and bank some orders you know one of the best um or maybe optimistic is the best word the best one of the most optimist one of the best views i've seen um of uh, how the soviet army would have actually behaved in the 1980s is from uh one of the be- the best i think uh third world war novel ever written um ralph peter's uh red army Mm. um fan absolute you are not allowed to play any of these games everybody until you've read red army at least once um new I, I, rule I'd say, yeah if you're <laughs> gonna read one if you're gonna read one sort of fictionalized novel of of, of a cold war battle then read ralph peter's book because yeah the rest of them are, the rest of them are okay but his, his is his is pretty much an actual battle it's really cool it's it's um, it's absolutely best but even he, this goes to what you were saying a second ago pierce mm. um if you read his afterward he's like uh this book gives so gives the soviet army a lot of credit uh the soviet army thinks really well in big pictures yeah. um it looks at a map and says we're going here and it draws these huge like second guards tank army 20th you know tank army we're gonna be in hamburg by the end of day two we're gonna be at the rhine at the end of day four or whatever and the exact phrase he uses however is there's a certain problem with the Red Army or the Soviet Army when it hits the uh, what's the word he, the actual phrase he uses is where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. You know, when you get down to muzzle to muzzle and now you're in the fluid and chaos of combat, that lack of um, flexibility training, independent training, uh, encouragement, and independent thought and reaction in the fluid of combat is where the Soviet Army really starts to fall apart. Um, that's just where they have a problem. And again, that's where. Okay, you were doing great until the shooting started, until it got thick. And now yeah. we can't really use those company orders that much anymore. Now I have to actually – everyone is uh, kind of in their own little battle, uh, in their yeah. own little tank turret. And now, holy shit, I don't have nearly enough orders because welcome to the yeah. Soviet Army. And, that, and I think that's what is the, the key difference with Northag to most Cold War rules is it, it – it's it, uh, the way – well, the way Battle Group and, and those sort of mechanics – they allow us to do things like that. They allow us to have two armies that can fight each other, but both fight in a completely different manner. Um, and th- there's not many rule systems that really reflect that properly, I don't think, or at least try and reflect it. Granted, it's abstracted into to, to you guys rolling the dice um, and getting the orders, but the, the company orders thing and then the platoon orders that NATO can use, it, and NATO having the extra officers does give you that balance between as you say between this this sort of big set piece force that suddenly falls apart when it's trying to do something reacting to things actually happening um compared to nato which doesn't so much go in for the big picture but can 
fight nitty gritty when uh, when everything when the shit hits the fan, as it were. So I was looking over um, some of the rules. I like the engineer order. Um, I, I think that's really interesting. Add you know it adds a little bit more than just let's go out and kill each other. Um, I you know I think there's some really good recovery in here, repair. So you can do a lot more than just you know straight up combat. Um, I like the movement on there. I like your rule on the jet aircraft. You know, there's no movement distance. It just enters and leaves the table in the same turn. It, you know, obviously that's a really yeah. good one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, most of the stuff is, is very similar to battle group, but obviously uh, we've, we've had to change bits and pieces, um, especially, especially air power because it's, um, it, it's much different. Obviously, compared to to World War Two, because one of the things that was really a sticking point for us was was getting helicopters in and how um, how we reflected their use on the tabletop. So, because it's, it's the, the fast air is fairly easy; it just arrives, drops a bomb, and buggers off. You know, mm-hmm. it's not going to hang around. Um, whereas, whereas a helicopter is it, it's it's more like a flying tank than an aircraft you know it's 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 there and it can hang around right only until it's used its payload up but you know it's much more of a it's a much more offensive and reactive weapon yeah. um but it flies about the place so <clears throat> it there was a quite a balance to be made between when, when we first started playtesting the uh, hinds were just hideous they just turn up and kill it everything on the table um and you'd be like right so we had to tone those down a little bit but it adds another dynamic it it, it adds a, an aerial dynamic to the game which you don't really get in in battle group as much um, as far as air power goes that's really only going to be the only major difference i think uh especially in, in other game systems as well i mean whether or not you're flying a mig 17 a mig 21 or a mig 3 in 1942 or whatever yeah, it shows up, it drops something, it hits or misses. Maybe it has to take uh, AA fire if you have AA units on the table before that. Helicopters, though, are, yeah, they're basically APCs that get to ignore terrain. Um, yeah. They can, they, they can even drop off troops in some cases. So, mm. and then, as, yeah, Heinz go, yeah, they're scary, but they tend to be scary for one turn. Um, at least in most systems. After that, they, 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 they've got that they've got that chain gun or whatever. They're not exactly you know, they're not exactly hard to hit. Um, no, they've got not. some armor on them, but um, yeah. most of their weapons were pretty close. So yeah, yeah the, the NATO players take take at least some anti aircraft, please. Take some oh. auto cannons. <laughs> I think, I think take take quite a bit of anti aircraft, as as we found out when uh, <laughs> when when we didn't bother um, and. You know, we've had games like that where I, I didn't bother taking any anti-aircraft weapons to my rations, and in the first five turns, I had three Lynx helicopters turn up. So, you know. Oh, for the Soviets, good grief. <laughs> I mean, how many how many anti-air systems do they have? The I know, well, The 57-2, the 23-4, the, the, the 36 <laughs> missiles, I don't even, I can't even count. It would be yeah, half the podcast well, listing their anti-aircraft. <laughs> Soviets are wanted, very, very I, afraid of our aircraft. I wanted more tanks. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, you did mention that. In, it, it was mentioned in the book about make sure you bring anti-air. Um, I like yeah. how you address auto cannons and man pads. Um, one thing that stuck to me, and 
and correct me if I'm wrong, you have a rule for flamethrowers. Are we still using flamethrowers in the 80s? Um, there's some there's some vehicle ones. The Russians have got some vehicle-mounted okay. ones. Okay. So, yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a couple. Not many. Okay. Not many. But, uh, um, and the, the NATO has some pretty nasty air-delivered weapons as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And some pretty yeah. hideous artillery-delivered munitions. Um, like, you know, you can dump minefields in front oh, of the yeah. Russians by, I've, I've done that by your artillery stuff like that, you know? So it's, um, yeah, it's, there's lots of different bits and pieces in it that I think people are going to have, have quite a bit of fun trying out. And, you know, lists will become, I think people will suddenly find, rather than writing these kill lists, they'll write lists to, to try different things. To, to get one over on their opponent, you know, um, which which I think is, will be a lot of fun for people. Oh, yeah. and, it, and it's, you know, and there's there's vehicles that do other things as well. You've got the, the electronic warfare vehicles that will try and knacker up your opponent's dice rolls for the next turn and things like that. So it's it's all very abstracted into a quite a gamey mechanic, but it, it it's also in there for a, so that you, you know, there's a reason to have the models on the table, same with Battle Group. You know, we like everything to have a purpose. Um, and I suppose those flamethrowers will be useful for those that dug in infantry. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like every, I, I dig everything in. Um, and everyone playing North, my, my Russians just start dug in and they don't really go anywhere. To be <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the other thing that I've found different with with north egg is reconnaissance troops um they there's a real use of recce now um it actually becomes something that you you really want to take and has a use because a lot of objectives now you can assign them to to only be captured by infantry or reconnaissance units so you may have these big russian tank companies that can go steep but they may be able to secure you any objectives doing it uh-huh so, so infantry and and recce can be very useful in probing these areas and objectives that are sort of further away and capturing things. So, it, it's nice that everything re- really does have a purpose, you know. Um, that's a, that's a really neat addition because I mean, tanks are fantastic at taking ground. They're not so good at holding it. Mm. They're terrible that- at holding it. Tanks are like the worst defensive weapon on the battlefield yeah. and as far as recon goes or recce goes um yeah i remember in battle group the rule was basically um whoever had more reconnaissance units scout units started off uh out scouting the enemy and so the enemy had to draw like one battle raid encounter at the beginning of the mm-hmm. game then after that it was like um i guess it has a 20 millimeter auto cannon exactly you know, yeah. you're like okay i guess it's still kind of useful yeah but, um, yeah, yeah this, this sounds great actually well, it, and also I think when you when you're playing the smaller scales, your your board's that much bigger, um, so you, you you know you find a use for these slightly faster moving reconnaissance units um, to nip off to sides of the battle where you know there's not so many people lurking around an objective, um, and it it it's nice because it, it it makes you really think about how you're structuring your force and because forces built in a completely different way to battle group with the the forward screen and the main force um you you can find yourself really heavily loading your forward screen with offensive units and recce in in order to try and sort of grab as many objectives as you can um 
with enough stuff to sort of dig in and hold those objectives as as the enemy's main force arrives. Um, of course, the 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 big the real stealer of uh, objectives is the born infantry platoon that you can helicopter in and the reinforcement. Oh, all, right, all right, everyone, pause for G. Go yeah. ahead, G. Yes. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yeah, yeah that's so, uh, and that's another reason to always have AA because, yeah, you, the last thing you want in the last few turns of the game is a is a full platoon of uh, Soviet airborne suddenly being helicoptered in onto. <laughs> onto your main objective right in your right on your baseline and just all piling out and taking it. I, I certainly haven't played battle group yet uh, i'm sorry i'm north Hag yet but battle group i remember making up a lot of lists where it's like okay this is the scenario this is what i'm trying to do i need these engineers i need this air defense i need uh, you, you have to start with a certain number of infantry units you know depending on the level of your game so on and so on and so on and then at the end going okay how much do i have left for tanks <laughs> tanks was always the last thing you bought it's like okay yeah. that was that was that was the dessert at the end of your vegetables so it was like all right i've eaten my lima beans and my asparagus and my broccoli now here's the here's the dessert or whatever so yeah. and that's that's that might sound restrictive to some players who aren't familiar with the system trust me it's not it's going to challenge you in so many ways and you're going to end up with a balanced multilateral force that has to do different things um and especially with the lethality of modern weapons, we were talking about this uh, before you joined our call, is everything hits, everything dies. There's, you know, the lethality of a World War Three army versus a... Mm -hmm. So anything you can do, reconnaissance so that you know where the enemy is before the enemy knows where you are, um, electronic warfare, any kind of engineers to give you, uh, you know, field fortifications, anything, anything that allows your army to live one extra turn. You play mm -hmm. almost defensively a lot, even if you're not on defense. Uh, survivability, I guess, is maybe a better way to put it. Yeah. Um, it's definitely going to, because if your army is shooting for one half of a turn more than the enemy's turn is, you're going to kill so much stuff in that extra turn, two turns, that that might probably get, you know, that's that's probably going to give you the game. Yeah, I mean, North Aggies does have a lot more tanks in it than a battle group game, generally. Um, but, well, if you're, I, I tend to play the Soviets most of the time, so I have a lot of tanks. <laughs> um, but they, they do tend to die quite quickly, so I kind of need lots of tanks. So, you know, I mean, in most of the games, I, I very rarely had less than twenty T sixty fours, so or T eighties, and um, it you need them because you have to close with the the NATO tanks because the NATO tanks. They're, they're better at hitting you. They're better at spotting you. And um, if you get hit by one of them, it's pretty much game over, you know, yeah. at any range on the table. So, you know, uh, when you're advancing in these company formations, you're looking at the terrain and thinking, right, well, I'm going to lose probably four tanks in this first advance. And then second turn, I'll lose probably two or three there. So you, you, as a Russian player, you sort of think, well, my first tank company is probably all going to get destroyed, but I may take out two of those chieftains. Yeah. So at least your second tank company will take out the next two chieftains. <laughs> it's um, like it's like uh, Longstreet says in Gettysburg. It's a it's a depressing mathematical equation. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's x distance divided by yeah. number of units divided by enemy firepower quotient. Time divided by killing power divided by oh man I'm I'm, I'm already dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But of course, it's all down to the 
the vagaries of the dice as well, though. You know, so you know we've had those games where NATO haven't managed to hit anything. You know, as well as I've charged across, and and then it's got it is bit over very quickly once the the Russian big guns get in close. They can uh, they can make quite a mess of NATO tanks up close. Um, yeah, that's all, that's, an, that's an almost any game. Once the Soviets get within choking distance, you better have yeah. killed most of them because now now it's their game. It is, it is. But as a NATO player, you have to you have to play like NATO. So you have to have a multi layered defence. Mm-hmm. So you you know you have to use your infantry to back up the tanks with their handheld anti tank weapons, um, and you've got to have like the the lighter vehicles with their anti tank guided missiles and things like that so you you need to plan your force out so that you're hitting that russian tank company as it comes in with all different things at all different ranges um so you you, you know you, your chieftains really are sort of at the back on a hill in front of them are things like swing fires and milans and then in front of them is the dug-in infantry with carl gustafs and laws and things like that and the idea is, is you try and hit them with as much as it rolls in. Um, and obviously, you, if you, if you're if you're lucky, you'll have a couple of helicopters that tend to really ruin tanks' day. But Gaz, are you still alive? Yeah, I'm still here. You're very quiet. <laughs> I thought you'd be all over this. We're talking about the British and all that. Yeah, I know the links well. I worked on it for quite a few years, so I know how bad it is. <laughs> So uh, I, I wanted to mention something that sticks out to me as a former NBC sergeant for my company. Uh, you have rules regarding NBC. Uh, obviously, nuclear mm-hmm. and chemical, biological, you address really well, saying that you know it's a long-term solution. But yeah. um, can you hit on those a little bit, <laughs> explain those, how yeah. people will play nuclear and chemical? Yeah, yeah, it's not much of a game after the nuke one, but yeah, <laughs> what it is is basically there's there's chits in the pot. One of them is a mushroom cloud, which is your nuke chit, and another one is a gas chit. Um, and they they do what they say on the chits, but they'll only do it if you've taken certain options for your army list. Uh-huh. So if you've taken, I think one of it's. Uh, um, what is it? Vital ground, I think it is for the <clears throat> for the players, and that allows basically the the idea is that this battle space is so vital that rather than lose and give it up, you'll nuke it. So, but you so you have to have purchased that in your army list. Mm. Um, you've got to fulfil the other requirements, and you've got to pull that chit. So unless you've so if you pull the the nuke chit and you don't have the bit from the army list for vital ground then it does nothing and it's the same with gas you've got to have clearance you've you've got to have purchased on the army list clearance to use chemical weapons so you've got so you you, you need to plan it from the start what you're going to do gotcha now so once you've done that then then if you draw the chit you can hold on to it and use it when you want to use it so you can throw it out obviously with a nuke <laughs> you, you're pretty much deciding the game's going to be a draw really it's it's sort of it's the battle group equivalent of a table flip um, <laughs> so but what happens with a nuke is you you do literally drop uh, a small tactical nuclear warhead onto the battlefield okay um, 
and you, you basically roll to see if anybody actually survives it. Um, and for everything destroyed, you take chits. And you do it, you take it one after the other. So if somebody drops a nuke, you literally both sit there rolling for a unit, it's destroyed, take a chit, and away you go. And it's whoever breaks first. Although, as we say, it's pretty much a non-event for both sides. Yeah. Gas is slightly different. Gas, you can, once, once you deploy the chemical weapons... Um, troops do have the chance to get into their NBC suits and carry on fighting. Okay. And then there's there's penalties for, for fighting whilst buttoned up in tanks and whilst wearing all the NBC gear. Mop level um, four, G, you remember that? I, I actually, did you, uh, you're not on Facebook. So um, if you were on Facebook, Jim, you would see that I have my M17 mask that I just re-brought out of storage that's going to work with me, and I just got a new mop suit still in vacuum packaging. That I'm taking oh to work gosh. with me, so okay. I'm going to be in full mop four. Mop four. Yeah, I need military one. operational preparedness posture. Or mop four. It's mission oriented protective posture. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now I don't know if this this might be slightly off topic. As far as I mean, I'm sure the the game. Again, I haven't read the rules, so I can't, I can't really speak to the game. But like people have asked a lot of times, even back in the old Team Yankee days or whatever, is how okay nukes oh well that's you know how do you use nukes in a team in, in a world war three game gdw assault used to do this and how do you use chemical weapons um the soviet doctrine kind of used to be it's possible to on an operational level to open up a gap on the line with uh a small tactical nuke like anywhere from 20 to 300 kilotons pretty much 20 uh, but anyway and then advance through that gap with you know nbc hardened vehicles or whatever so a lot of it okay if you want to play a third world war nuclear game again i'm not i have no idea about north hag or whatever a lot of times for a nuke it's okay the nuke has already gone off and now you're gonna fight in this irradiated wasteland or whatever um as nato tries to plug the breach as far as chemical weapons go You've got stuff like that that old Soviet uh, sarin nerve gas that kills you in nine in nine seconds um, if you don't have your stuff on or whatever, but it breaks down and becomes pretty much you know by design inert in like thirty minutes. So mm. at the uh, who knows if it would have worked, but the, uh, the Soviet idea was to drop a bunch of this stuff on a, a particular ad advanced corridor that they felt was particularly important kill as much as they can and then while the shock of that was still wearing off advance over it with uh with their chemical troops i mean in the height of the cold war in the, in the mid 80s soviet chemical regiments outnumbered all all nato never mind american never mind british all nato chemical yeah. warfare troops by a factor of like 10 to 1 they were mm -hmm. bringing chemical weapons to the table so that was not even an issue they, they had already made that decision that wasn't going to be a call they made on day three they were like here we go this, the ball's yeah. gone up, we're, yeah. we're dropping the sarin. Here it comes. Yeah. And I think I think that's why we, we put in the chemical stuff, the gas, 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 and all that, is 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 you are able to use it, you know, as part of your as part of your sort of tools for the job, as it were. The the tactical nuke thing is more is more us having a bit of fun, really. To, <laughs> as as pretty much when you know the game is pretty much over and it's a last yeah. ditch up. It's the final yeah, solution, it, you know, right? Yes, exactly. It's just to really annoy the person you're playing against more than anything. Just, just to make. If it I first. can't win this game, nobody's winning this game. Hence oh, the table yeah. flip. <laughs> Neither are you. Yeah. So, uh, Piers, I have one question for you. Yeah, as yeah. far as the chemical, is there a special rule that the person who's getting the chemical attack against 
do they have to yell gas, gas, gas? If they don't, they lose their commander. Uh, only if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> I say the rule should right. be that you actually have to put on the gas mask and play the rest of the game at the table. And yeah. how, how quickly do you or, have to put the gas mask on, Jim? What was it? Uh, nine seconds. Nine seconds. Nine seconds. Well, we're, we're quite lucky because some of the people I play with produce enough of their own gas to make <laughs> it realistic. Um, all right, so let's talk about Mexican food again, right? Let's talk about the uh, most important section in this book, Gaz. Oh. <laughs> Helicopters. Helicopters. <laughs> so uh, they talk about, uh, they show the links um, because obviously we're talking, you know, North Egg, so it's the British. Um, Seven. Army, so, you know, um, and. Is that the only helicopter that's available to the British at this time period? I, I... Uh, yeah. no, gazelles. Gazelles. Yeah, there's, okay. there's a few other bits and pieces, but the um, main sort of combat one is is the links for them in this. Oh, yeah, that's right. Scout was still around, but it was pretty much obsolete at that point. Okay. Okay. Was that a, a troop transport helicopter as well as an attack at that time? So Lynx has a single six seat in the back and then a rear three seat behind that. It oh, okay. can supposedly carry nine soldiers but in reality once with kit in there you're probably looking at more like six okay okay uh, it's 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 a reasonable aircraft it was quite fast for its day although it did have the world record i've seen that aircraft it had all the rivets skimmed smooth and it was purpose built to break the speed record rather than just a run-of-the-mill one. Oh, really um, not much protection, so uh, GRP predominantly, no uh, armor plating except for the seats, and that's only for pilot, co-pilot. Um, tow system, uh, limited vision uh, tow missile launcher, top left. Um, it pretty much had probably a little over 180 degree arc. Uh, missiles, I don't remember the exact range, I want to say 2 to 4K. It obviously runs a wire being uh -huh. a tow system, so they have to keep on target to hit. It's not a fire and forget. Um, so yeah, it's a, it was a good bit of kit. It's quick, you know, it's very maneuverable. Uh, it also has the ability to press itself into the ground with the collective, which made it very good for conversion for ship. So, um, when you dump the collective in it on the ground, you can actually force it to push itself into the ground. So really good for doing a fast drop because uh -huh. you can get close, pull collective hard, slam it in and lock the aircraft down so the troops can literally just bundle straight out, dive to the ground, and then you're, you know, your skid's up and you're on your way. Gotcha. All right. So um, survivability in the game, Piers. Are helicopters um, very vulnerable? Do they have a higher yeah. survivability rate? Mm, you don't want to be in one getting hit by anything bigger than a bullet. Let's put it that way. Okay. Especially so small, the, anything uh, bigger than small arms fire. Yeah, I mean, any any of the missiles or anything like that okay. will, will will really ruin your day as a helicopter pilot. Okay. Um, but the 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 handy thing is, but especially with the links and things like that, is they is they can take cover as well. Um, so you you have an air asset that can also go and hide. Uh huh. So, okay. so it, it's all balanced out with that. So it, they, they, again, they, they turn up on chits. So you have to pull a helicopter chit to be able to get one. Um, but there's quite a few helicopter chits in the, in the pot. So I think most games we've played, we've had at least one helicopter turn up. Um, we've had some games where we've had, I've had three Heinz turned up in the space of a turn, which is quite scary. You know, but they are 
they they can be a real game changer the helicopters if if you use them right but they're very limited in the amount of ammunition they carry so they are pretty much a sort of turn up for two or three turns loose off their missiles and and gear and then and then vanish back the way they came nice okay um i was just looking at some of the other aircraft rules i like uh reconnaissance helicopter rules your timed airstrikes i like that uh, it really adds to the game i like you have a rule for cluster bombs yeah, yeah. that is awesome yeah. <laughs> and i like how how even the ones that um you know after you've done all your hits and pins that that area becomes a minefield for the you know submunition so yeah. it's not just uh, i bombed it it's used up and then it's, that's it it's like you know now yeah. you have the ones that didn't hit anything are now basically a minefield i i think that's really cool that really just changes the dynamic of the battlefield it does, yeah, and it, it it allows you to sort of be offensive with 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 blocking areas, you know. So you can not only are you you know taking out a unit, you're also stopping people advancing through it later on. Yeah, and things like the rocket pods as well. The big rocket pods are just saturation weapons, you know, and they're uh, you guys, you guys gotta be hideous. With that kind of stuff, because I mean, again, I haven't played Northag yet, but I played uh, GDW Assault back in the '80s. And I was uh, as a Soviet player with an artillery delivered minefield, and it's it was like a core level asset. So I had to wait like two turns before the actual mission dropped. After I made the call, you write down on a secret piece of paper like wh- what hex numbers you were calling it in on, and then it can drift, and then this, and then that. Meanwhile, the battle was fluid. Long story short, I, take your shot. I went ahead and I <laughs> called in an artillery delivered minefield on myself. So I dropped it in on this town. It's a much bigger hex kind of game. I dropped it in on this town I was trying to take. Um, the uh, I think it was the West Germans I was were my opponent. They something happened. They had to pull out. I kind of forgot where my mind because again it was two turns ago and it's a big game. I went ahead. I moved in there with a, uh, a, a understrength battalion of T80s and then I was like, oh, let me flip over my paper. I forgot I had artillery minefields coming in. Uh, <laughs> I literally he opened up the the hatch and there's like one of his own mines there on the side of the turret next to him. Um, <laughs> It was, uh, these things happen. (laughs) These things happen. (laughs) And, um, a super quick footnote, uh, just for people in the audience or whatever. Um, just a quick question. Again, I haven't read the book yet. Uh, are there any plans or are there already in the book for other nations in North Ag besides just the British? Because North Ag is not just the British. Okay. Um, yeah, well, the, the North Ag book is the rules. Um, and the, the, the British army, the rules. Ryan list and the the Soviet motorized list are a sort of giveaways with the rule book, if you like. So the idea is that those are to, to get people playing. The Netherlands what, what, has a core in there. The Germans, um, the Belgians even have a core in there. So there's mm. yeah. So what what follows Northag is a book that's going to be called Sentag, which oh. will cover will cover that part, but it's also it's basically going to be all the army lists. Okay. So. It'll be a book of army lists for for the period. So it will be NATO stuff like Belgians and West Germans. It'll be the West German Home Guard units. There'll be the different British units of the follow-up forces that would have come across in Saxons and things like that. There'll be all the Warsaw Pact people like East Germans, Czechs, Poles. and There'll be Soviet naval infantry. So everybody will be going into that. So And, and the idea, the reason it was split down was because the books the book would have been so big um 
it, it would have been after been a massive hardback. And the way postal charges have gone over the last two or three years, it, it's costing us a lot of money to post out the, the big hardback battle group books. So the idea that PSC decided on was to have two smaller softback books um, because it, it, it saves us so much money in, in postage. Um, I just remember when Team Yankee came out, people were talking about, oh, look at this, you know, American file, American centric. First of all, that's not what Team Yankee ever meant. But number two, um, yeah, like as soon as, you know, the Yankee, well, what about everybody else in NATO? So to kind of head off these questions again, we got people, you know, live in our stream or whatever. Yeah. North Hag, I mean, never mind all of NATO, just North Hag uh, contains. At least three or four other nations. I think the Canadians even had a brigade that might have been deployed there. So there's other nations in North Hag. I just don't want people to get confused with the name of the book being North Hag, and we keep mentioning, well, it's it's North Hag, so we're talking about the British. It's mm. not necessarily mm. again just for people in the chat. That's not necessarily true. And I just want you know to bring up the no, question that other other nations so are going to be brought in. Yeah, I mean, Centag sounds great. That's what I was waiting for, you know, being the American. But even within Northag, there's there's other uh, there's other nationalities, nationalities. Exactly. So, I mean, the idea is that it's it's called Centag, but to be honest, it's just a book of army lists, really. Um, awesome. You know, so it, it and it's it, it's purely done to keep the, the cost of of shipping this stuff to people down. Because um, one of the advantages of the new um, plastic, this this injection plastic that PSC are using, is it is so light. So, uh, and it, uh, sort of ten T eighty tanks in this sidecast weigh, well, they don't weigh much more than one or two metal ten mil tanks. So, you know, it it enables PSC to post the books and a couple of armies to people at, at, at a relatively cheap cost, um, which. You know, in this day and age, isn't is is a concern for us because um, we find with with the a lot of people overseas to get the battle group books are relying on local shops to get them in, you know, and get trade deals with PSC to get these books in. So we're trying to find a way where we can post them direct to people and and keep the cost down. Um, so the idea of splitting into two softbacks was to try and try and cover that also gives us time to to test the different armies because it took us long enough to test get the british right and the, the soviets right and the rules right let alone you know then add in another 10 different army lists to work out and paint up and all that stuff so but they are they, they will be there you know it also Everybody. makes it easier to bring an army to convention or to an event Anyone yeah. who's ever tried to bring a metal army through airport security, <laughs> you have a lot of weird questions to answer. Yeah, exactly. You know, stick to plastic whenever you can. Mm. And that's the nice thing about the, the 10 mil plastics that PSC are doing is it has all the benefits of plastic as in, you know, it, it's light, it's cheap, um, but it also has flex to it. So where metal gun barrels on tanks would bend, the, 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 the plastic ones flex and that's that and it's it's brilliant because you you don't have any you don't have any paint chipping off models which i don't know about you guys but my metal tanks whether they're six mil or ten mil always look like they're covered in glitter because there's so many little chips get knocked off <laughs> yeah um, you know and and i and i keep them in foam trays so it's not like they go anywhere but i don't know what it is so it, it's really nice to have these these plastic ones i'm just sort of going through i got a whole big bag of the new plastics from PSC last week. So I'm just 
sorting out how I'm going to start replacing units. Because um, the, I, 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 you know, you've got to have a couple of companies of T64s. So, so PSC have sent me a couple more companies of T64s to to do up. So, so you you've got the models that people will be receiving. Um, yeah. What do you think? Give us, you know, I, um, what are what I should we great. be expecting? I think they're fantastic. Yeah. To be honest, they. Well, I think the the beauty of them is is they because they're this sort of the plastic has a very slight flex to it, uh-huh. and that's only on the only on the gun barrels, obviously not on anything else. Um, but the the detail they're getting out of this plastic is phenomenal. It's it's as good as metals. Oh wow! Um, and it and because you have this sort of flex, it means the thing I used to hate about six mil and ten mil tanks was the barrels, because the barrels would always get bent or they'd knock, or they'd snap off, you know, and that just used to wind the crap out of me, and that's <laughs> kind of why I sort of why I sort of stopped playing those games, really. And and with the new stuff, you you can actually, I mean, I've the way I tested these tanks was to, I, I painted up a chieftain, and I, I bent the gun barrel to a sort of a 90-degree angle in the middle of it, and no no paint came off. Wow. Um, now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even think about doing that to a tank with a metal barrel. Right. You know? So for, for actual just gaming use, these things are going to be fine. And and the beauty of it is, is you, you can throw these things across the room and they just bounce. And, and the paint doesn't even chip off them. So they are, from the point of view of, for a war gamer, they are just great. Now, obviously, it's it's something new. So whether people all, all take to it, I don't know. But for... For ten mil tanks, it's abs- it's it's a dream because you can, you know, you, it, they take they're very quick to clean up. They tend to have the odd mold line here and there, so, but in, again, in ten mil, a lot of people are saying, "Oh, there's a mold line on that," and I'm and I'm saying, "Yes, there is," but you've got to realise that you're looking on a, you know, on a computer screen of a ten mil tank that's blown up uh-huh. to a massive size, so that you can pick out that mold line. I said, if you looked at that tank from six foot away on the other side of a table you wouldn't see the mold line because you probably couldn't see the bloody tank you know? i was about to so, say you wouldn't be able to spot the tank if it was in terrain <laughs> exactly. so you know it, it's but they, they've they've worked really hard on it so I, I i really hope it's successful for them because if it is it's it's an absolute game changer in in terms of miniatures because i mean the the way they can produce this stuff and and for the price they can produce it at will will completely open up a whole manner of opportunities for psc um because they're, they're doing ancients they're doing 50 mil ancients in this uh sire cast and uh, the detail they're getting in them is amazing it's really good so you know if it takes off and people like it then i imagine this time next year psc will have you know 15 mil napoleonics they'll have 50 mil Franco-Prussian, there'll be all the stuff they'll be able to do because the, the the production costs and the sculpting costs become that much cheaper because there's no there's no steel moulds for hard plastic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you're using silicon rubber moulds for everything. So it becomes that bit more cheaper for them to do. So they can bring out lots and lots of stuff. I mean, just the, the amount of vehicles they're doing in sidecars for, just for the British and the Russians must be, I think there's 
I think there's well over 50 or 60 models, I think, individual models going to be done. I was just going to ask you, are they going to be doing models for every vehicle that's mentioned in the rulebook at this point that you're aware of? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So all the aircraft, jets, armor, everything? About, I, don't know about, I don't know about aircraft and jets and helicopters as yet. I've okay. just I've sent, them, I've sent them the list for all the vehicles that are in the book. Okay. Um, they've actually done most of them. I've just sent them the last few bits so they are looking at doing every single vehicle or at least a version of every single vehicle so that so that everything you need from the army list you can get from PSC in um straight away or it's certainly in the next i think the last wave is going for design i think it went for design last week so i imagine by the summer pretty much everything you need will be available from PSC. they are looking at um doing helicopters and jets in scale um oh, wow. they haven't decided yet whether they're going to or not because and the i think the only reason they haven't decided is there's obviously the scale they've chosen the one 144th there's an awful lot of plastic kits available yeah uh, and to be honest a lot of the plastic kits are very good and very cheap i mean the uh zevda produce a hind in one 144th um and you, you can buy it for like four or five pounds and it's a fantastic kit. So <clears throat> I think part of what PSC are looking at is whether it's worth them investing the money when, you know, the product's already available for people to go and get quite cheaply. Okay. Obviously, they, <clears throat> you know, obviously they, they'd like to sell it to everybody, but I think I think PSC realised they'd have to sell it for a, a significantly higher price than somebody may be able to go and pick up a, a plastic hind from Zevda for. So... Well, PSC's option is, well, you know, we'll just go and buy a load of Heinz off Zevda and let people buy them from us, gotcha. you know, rather that's than... Really good, that's actually a really good point, because a lot of these old World War II games are 15 mil. You know, Flames of War is 15 mil. And for some reason, a lot of times these companies will produce aircraft for those games one scale level beneath it. So in a 15 millimeter game, you'll get 10 millimeter aircraft. Um, I've noticed that a lot. But here's another thing. If they do decide, I mean, we're talking about gun barrels on 10-millimeter tanks. Here's another thing that, that frustrates a lot of players, uh, myself included, is rotors on helicopters tend yeah. to break very easily. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if what you're saying about gun barrels at 10-millimeter is true, then it'll be a godsend for landing yeah. struts, tail booms, tail exactly. rotors, and, and main rotors Yeah, for 10-millimeter I mean, helicopters. Yeah, when I... When I was discussing with Will from PSC, his idea was to have, because <laughs> he's, he's a maniac, his idea was to have um, two sets of rotors. So you can have a set of rotors, which are the blades, for when it's landed, and then you can put on a disc. Oh, for, for when they take <laughs> <laughs> So, but it's, you know, that's Will for you. He just, just has these ideas. I mean, it, it's like the infantry. He, he wanted us to, he wants every pack of, like cold war infantry to come in fighting pose and then also you get the dug in unit so you can so you can move up with you guys moving and then take them off and replace them with dug in ones huh. you know so it's but you know we have to see how he how, how he covers all of this but certainly all the vehicles at least will be um produced and available and the infantry as well so we're, we're just i'm just waiting for some um they've, they've just done the mold for the soviet infantry in 10 mil so i'm that's the sort of next thing they said they're going to send me to have a look at so 
because I, well, before... I don't know about everybody else, but I'm excited. I really am. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, Jay, because we've got Piers here, we uh-huh. need him to get a talk about his Vietnam game. You know, I was going to mention that, but I didn't want to take the spotlight out of, you know, this game. Because yeah. I, I am, I'm ramped up, and, you know, he this game hasn't even come out yet officially. Nope. And you're already talking about Vietnam. But, yeah. Exactly. Let, let's... Yeah. Heck, we're already over two hours. Let's go for three. Go ahead, Piers. Let us talk to <laughs> us Jim's, about Vietnam. Jim's doing dead fact, food, if, before, so we go, before we go to Vietnam, for people wanting to find out more information and where, where's some hubs that they can yeah, hit up to nice. keep an eye on what's going on for this one? Um, pretty Best place would be the North Ag group on um, on Facebook. There you go. That's be where where PSC are mainly posting stuff. Um, PSC page on Facebook and I stick stuff up on various forums on, on Beasts of War on Tabletop Forum. I tend to put stuff up there. So, it, if you stick Battle Group North Ag in and go to the the Facebook group, it's probably the best one to to look for. Um, but I've, you know, as I say, most forums I tend to I tend to do a drive by and put pictures up. Nice. Sweet. Excellent stuff. Way to cover, Gaz. Way to cover. <laughs> <laughs> before, before we go off on a tangent. <laughs> All right, Ralph, take us into <laughs> Vietnam. We move on well, I, I know that you mentioned it the last time, didn't you, Pierce, when you were, on, you were saying that yeah. you, you'd been, were you playtesting or trialing a set of rules? Yeah, well, well, last time I spoke to you guys, Warwick was in the process of, of working out the mechanics. That, that's, that's now moved to to when we when we actually it was when we were doing the photos for North Ag we um we spent the weekend playing the new Nam game instead of well we got the photos done really quickly and, and then uh, and then spent sort of two days playing Nam sixty eight which is which is the the Vietnam game um and it's <clears throat> it's um yeah it's fantastic it it's i mean i've i've written two sets of vietnam rules um in the past and one bit one ambush valley which was for uh, ambush alley um so it i've kind of i didn't want to write another set of rules for, for vietnam i've done it twice so was that so related it, to, i'm sorry was that related to force on force yeah yeah, okay. I did. I did a version for Ambush Alley, and then I did another, a second edition of Ambush Valley for Force on Force. So it was pretty much the same thing. Um, so so, so Warwick sort of went and did something different with the rules, um, and then as I, so, then he came over and we sort of basically just played um, Nam sixty eight for for about two days, and then and didn't really want to play anything else again after it because it. We, I, I told Warwick what I wanted from a, you know, what I wanted to do in an arm game. And what I've always wanted to do is I, I want to play a tour of duty. I want to get a platoon of guys and I want to take them through, well, I want to take that platoon through 12 months of Vietnam War. I want to to have a tour of duty. Um, and that's what he's done. He's written a game. You, you, yes, you could play standalone games, but the... The whole point of this game is that you play a campaign where the players are the Americans and the referee or the umpire, if you like, plays the VC. And um, and the whole theme of the game is to see how your guys get through their, their tour of duty. 
That's a really great idea, and I like how you're talking about a referee or an umpire because we've uh, we've experimented with stuff like that in Panzer Blitz with Grote Steichland Division, trying to take them from Kursk until like the middle of '44, basically one year. And mm. you know, can you keep your your can you keep your battalion together? The problem is, okay, who's stuck playing the Soviets? Because yeah, obviously, exactly. you can't, it's not the same two units don't keep running into each other, so you can't run this double sided. You have to have. No. A, uh, an umpire or a referee. And I also like how you guys start in 68. That's definitely yeah. the most important year of, uh, of, of Vietnam. I think. Well, I think it's uh, uh, the reason we went like, I mean, it, although one person is sort of the referee and the VC, they still get to have their own bit of fun. Um, gen- generally at the other players expense, obviously, um, yeah. but, but they still get to, to do stuff. So <clears throat> what basically happens is, is not only do you play the game, but you also have, a post-game section where um, it, it's run off a pack of cards. So you draw cards and those cards will inform to you um, what sort of reinforcements your platoon's got, uh, what the area of operations is like. So whether it's gone from being calm and nice and the locals are friendly, it may have, you know, stepped up a level and and now it's there's a few more VC infiltrated in the area. So the, and both players will get the cards. So the American player gets his cards afterwards and can see what's happened. So like after we, we we had a game where um because the games are randomly developed by the cards at the start, we had a game which was just a a, a single um squad going out on a patrol. They had a, a, a patrol mission. So they basically had to go across the board and search three points on the table. Um and obviously the VC force is themed to that. Now, the area of operations I was assigned, thankfully, was quite a friendly area. So that affects what cards, what the cards do for the VC player. What it turned out I was actually facing in that squad game was I was facing um, one booby trap that was a spike pit, um, another booby trap that was a few grenades tied together, and a single Viet Cong mortar spotter with a pistol that was it but you don't know that as the american so my game was basically me getting across the board trying to search these three points while having shells rain down on me from this this occasional mortar fire um and it was great (laughs) it was brilliant because you you get that real sense of of where the hell are people you know (laughs) and i i just just couldn't see anybody because the referee doesn't have to put it on. It's, it, you know, he puts his stuff on as he wants to do things and they can appear from, they don't necessarily appear from a table edge. They may just pop up in certain areas of the table. So you, you become, you have to be very cautious as an American player where you go and what you do, make sure you're covering each other. And and that battle wasn't too bad. I had one guy did set off the uh, booby trap, the grenades, because it was, it was, it was unfairly hidden beneath my search point. So I, he went to t- search one of the areas and set off the booby trap, but he, he, he got away. Okay. He was, you know, he got injured, but it was only, he was only lightly wounded. So he just missed the next game. Um, and then you have this, this fun bit after the game where you roll to see if you've got any replacements, many more guys come into the squad. You, you've got a sec, uh, uh, one of the cards, when you draw it, will tell you if you found any, you know, your guys have been out foraging for equipment off the local Marine base or have nicked something off somebody else. Um, and it's all things like that, that, that really build the up army, a person. The, 
the, the army stealing from the Marine Corps. That never happens. Well, no, it'd be the other way around, wouldn't what? it? What? I'm sorry, what? What's that? <laughs> the army, but, you know. Um, but all that, it, it, the idea is that, you you know, you build a, a personality into to your troops. Um, and you have, like, a, an old 80s-style character sheet for, for the platoon. Um, so you can write their names in um, and, and off you go. And then... And then the, the second game we played went from this very small single patrol. I was able to bring the whole platoon out, um, including the, the M60 support guys. Um, and I had buckets of support. I had a gunship in support. I had some artillery. Um, and basically my mission was to go into this uh, deserted village. Um, and we knew the area I was going into was a hotspot for VC. So we were actually going in purposely to get ambushed to, to sort of draw them in and then hit them with everything we had hmm. um, and it, it worked really well I got ambushed really well <laughs> so so I then had to pull the first this poor point squad that went in got absolutely mauled and and of course what the, the beauty of it was was the I had one guy killed right and it was the guy who'd arrived as a replacement after the first game and he took the place of the guy who was wounded by the booby trap because he was out for the next mission so because he was lightly injured. So this poor new guy, like nobody even knew who his name was. You know, this guy just turned up and he got assigned to this. This the section was out on point and he literally he just walked across the table his first day out and just got shot through the head by a Viet Cong sniper. Oh, wow. You, you, look, at the, you look at the numbers in Vietnam. Yeah. Actually, that's actually what happened. <laughs> and Are you going to have you're... some kind of rule that uh, plays to that effect that if it's a, a replacement that's new – and goes into a uh, patrol or conflict that there's going to be some kind of. Oh yeah, they're crap. They're really <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> yeah, they just go to pieces. I, uh, every all, all the troops have different sort of ability levels. Uh -huh. So the guys that and your platoon, when you take the platoon over, some of them may be going in a couple of weeks. So your platoon isn't necessarily all going to be with you for the twelve months. It's just you as commander. It's your tour of duty. Okay. So, so some guys, I, after my first game, two of my really good veterans just vanished. They got on the bird and went home. You know, it was that their time was up. They'd done their 12 months. So Ten they, they went home. days and I wake up, I pause for <laughs> yeah. the cause, and I'm like, exactly. God, I won't, finish, so, I won't finish the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you're sort of hoping your best guys don't bugger off back to the States. Right. And then you've got to sort of fit these new guys in, um, or if they're really on fortunate like him he just I, I hadn't even written his name in the character sheet you know and we were playing him. and where it said who was he i went, don't know we never found out his name you know he just just turned up and private fng that was yeah, his yeah. nobody nobody even knew who he was you know he just turned up yesterday got off the bird and got shot you know oh well never mind kind of that's really but but it was great Sad, and then statistically that was the case like your yeah. without your 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 survivability your first three months was like, or your first 90 days was way lower. And if you made it through your first 90 days, maybe you had a chance to actually learn something. And plus now you had other people in the platoon that would stick up for you or whatever. And, you know, but uh, yeah, those first 90 days, I can't remember what the actual numbers were, but it's something it's, it's disproportionate. It's something like 40% of the people that were hit in Vietnam were hitting like the first three months or, you know, something like that. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, the idea is to try and bring all those things in and and try and make it um, make it feel realistic and and sort of put players through that 
that worry of, of not actually knowing what you're going to be facing. So are you, are, are these, uh, are, are the situations and the scenarios kind of like history agnostic or whatever? If, cause you said, I think that they were designed by the system or like generated by the cards. Kind of. Yeah. So okay. you, you, the idea is that they're all, they're all themed. that the book is going to be themed purely around, um, American Marines or army against Viet Cong. So there won't be any, there won't be any other forces in it apart from that. And the idea is that it just lets us add in that sort of that sort of period and that sort of ethos of of sixty eight, and obviously you can go either side of that. But we wanted to keep it keep it very basic as to to what its focus was. So the focus is is you're that platoon leader, and you've got to get your platoon through your tour of duty, and that's it. You're only going you're going to face VC. Obviously, there's all different types of vc so you've got local vc you've got you know cadres hardline the odd nva dude coming down to help support them well they're not in it there's there's uh there's the occasional nva advisor or something like that or some really well equipped vc that may have the odd nva dude with them um but it's very much focused purely on Viet Cong versus americans um and the reason for that is we wanted it we wanted just the, the 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 game to sort of encompass that sort of classic view of Vietnam of you know going out running S and D patrols or going out and searching that village and checking what's there, um, and it it uses a chit system like battle group but it functions differently, um, and you 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 have a battle rating similar to battle group, but you draw chits uh, as stuff happens to you. So as guys get wounded, the Americans take chits. As guys get killed. You don't want guys getting killed if you're Americans. You have to take a lot of chits if that happens. Mm. Uh, and it, so you, you're always balancing. And, and the way the order system works is <clears throat> you, you, everybody can do something, but they're very limited in what they can do for free. And then you, you draw a chit at the start of each round, and the number on that chit is the number of special actions your guys can do. So say you, you draw one or two chits, depending on the size of the game, and you've got six special actions. So you can then use those to do different things. So doing stuff for free is like moving and laying down suppressive fire. You, everybody can do that. But if you want to do sort of things like aim fire, or if you want you dude with a shotgun to kick in the door of the hooch and then blast the two guys on the other side, you need to use these, these special order sort of points, if you like. Um, and because that's random, you, you, you can you can plan to a degree what you want to do. Uh-huh. Um, but it means what what I found when I was playing is you really have to be careful how you deploy your troops, because you want to make sure if you're sending guys out as I did to go in and take this one particular house, I had to make sure that there was plenty of guys who could lay down suppressing fire to cover them, because I didn't want to get into a situation where I'd drawn the chits and had like virtually no ability to do any special orders and the guys were were stuck out in the middle of nowhere with no support so <clears throat> it it's a very tactical game and because the numbers are small and and you know you're playing it on a, a decent sized table it's uh it it's really crucial where your guys are going nice so pierce what scale are you thinking of this is this going to be 20 28 mil or smaller or yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um warwick's Warwick's planning in twenty-eight mil, and okay. I'm I'm planning twenty mil. Okay. Um, uh, as long as you can, as long as you can tell what the figure is, yeah. you can play it in any 
really. Okay. Um, but I think it will suit 20 mil and 28 mil more because I think you have that level of personality yeah. in the model at that yeah. scale, you know? Um, like there's, I've, you know, a couple of the figures, even after the sort of four games we played over the weekend, there were certain figures who I knew who they were. Okay. Every time I put them on the board, it'd be like that 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 Sergeant Apone. He's he's leading he's leading that fire team. Sorry, he can't go with that one. He's got to go there. <laughs> Sergeant Apone is he yeah. fighting aliens or just Viet Cong? Uh, just just Viet Cong. Okay. This time. Uh, he did have a big shotgun though. It was ace. That's uh, nice. So two questions and, I have and he, for you. Yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, go on. Go on. Uh, the two oh. questions I have for you is a. When are we going to see the rule book? Yeah. And two or b uh when are we gonna see uh miniatures for this or are you just gonna open it up to any company miniatures yeah well i mean the, the book will be whenever boric decides to finish writing it and we'll do some photos and he'll put it out it's it's, it's gonna be through um Warwick's company publishing company where where he's done the soldiers series um so it'll go through that it won't be with psc or anything like that so it'll be a completely independent one um so it'll be released that way like he's released um soldiers of god and soldiers of rome so this one will be uh, no i'm 68 um <clears throat> and the idea is that that by just doing it ourselves we'll then you know we'll then go on and do something else with it so the idea is the next book will be sort of special forces nva and an arvin um and go that way with it when it is I don't know. <laughs> it could be, it could be end of the year, but I suspect it will p- probably be more next year. Um, all depends. All depends what PSC, uh, how PSC ask us to to do the next sort of battle group books and the next um, the North Ag expansion and things like that. At the, at the moment, we have no, we have no idea what they, you know, what they want us to work on because now they've they've bought the systems. Um, we we sort of take a, a back seat until until they say to us right um you know we can you go and do battle group stalingrad and we'll go off and do it gotcha. so <clears throat> when they're not asking us to do stuff we have loads of time to work on things um so like warwick is warwick is working away on Nam 68 i'm i've gone completely the other way and i'm i've gone back to medievals to to use the the soldiers of system to do something medieval um I, i've been picking away a, a world war ii version of north ag as well so um but yeah release i don't know we we'd re- i we kind of like to do a, a a vietnam game at salute next year um as a sort of you know as a demonstration of it at least but as i say it'll, it'll all depend what happens with um the next battle group book and and what's going on with the north ag book and when PSC want those acts i suspect i suspect the next centag book will probably be for um salute next year i should i should guess you know oh, nice. not too long but you know good uh we had a question from one of the uh people listening right now and they are asking about any updates for battle group pacific um it, it's been done for ages <laughs> we finished <laughs> We finished it months ago. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, as far as I know, we we it's all done. It's finished. They've got they've got the print draft. What what has stopped them getting it out is that people wanted them to focus on getting reprints done. 
Okay. Uh, so PSC, to be fair to them, have gone out and reprinted f- five books now. Um, so they've basically brought all the out-of-print titles back into print apart from... I think the only book out print now is Battle Group Blitzkrieg. Uh, um, so they, you know, they, they, it's taken them a sizable amount of, of cash to get all, all those books back in print. The knock-on effect of that was that it's, it's delayed Pacific. Um, but, I mean, from, from talking to PSC, I imagine it's going to be probably June, July, something like that. Um, another reason they're sort of holding it back is I know they're doing figures for it. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> which are, I think they're doing 15 mil and 20 mil um, Japanese and USMC. So it will be worth waiting for. Um, but as I say, the book the book is done, um, gone from us. Um, it, it's purely just waiting on PSC, but you know, they. A, a lot of people wanted them to get a lot of books back in print. So I think PSC, when they took over, decided the first thing they'd do rather than rather than put another book out would be to um would be to go back and get things like Kursk, the rule book, um, Overlord and get all these full of the right get all of them back in print so that at least new players can can go and buy the books, you know. Sure. So but yeah, I, I suspect it'll be in the summer. Um, I said June, I'm, I'm, I'd go out on a limb and say probably mid-July because I, I think they were aiming to have it released at a show round sort of June, July time. So, but as I say, yeah, it's all done. Um, it's, it's Pacific, so it's U.S. Marines, Japanese, and it covers Burma as well. Excellent. So, yeah. Well, uh, that's exciting news, um, guys. Any last-minute thoughts while we wrap this up? Anyone? Yep, I'm, I'm, I'm all good. All good. Well, I, I can tell you, I, you, as you can tell by the excitement in the room, Piers, I'm excited for this to happen. Um, you know, obviously, um, my two counterparts there over in Merry Old England are being very restrained, British proper. You know, uh, it, it reminds me of a funny story. I and I'm going to go back to um, it was three years ago now. God, three years now. Uh, when GW had their preview at Adepticon, uh, when they were done, the place went wild. People are clapping and cheering, and we're really excited. This was in America, obviously. And then we went to uh, UK Games Expo that same year, and they did the same uh, presentation at UK. And when they were done, it was like, thank you, gentlemen, you know, ladies for coming. And everybody was like, a little golf clap, and that was it. I was like, <laughs> okay. So, you know. I, I, I pre-ordered Nothag, so, you know, I'm just waiting for my minutes. I know, but happily. you guys are so restrained. We're out there whooping it up. But then I see you guys at uh, football tournaments, and you guys are, you know, slugging it out in the stadium and, you know, being all crazy, and then, you know, something like this. So it's like, okay, whatever. But, Piers, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, um, I am time. very excited for all of this. Uh, NOM 68 sounds amazing. Um, so Yeah, I think that's, that's going to be – I think it's going to be the first time people are going to get a Vietnam game that um, that gives them, like, you know, Full Metal Jacket or Apocalypse Now in a book. You know? It's going to be so. that sort of – flavor to it i hope so. i like the whole investment in in a platoon and you know living through the 12 months of your tour of duty so um 
you know, if you guys backed um, North Hag, make sure you look out for those uh, models. Um, if you were a backer, check your email for a link to the PDF file for uh, the rule book. The rule book is amazing. I uh, really enjoy it. I cannot wait to uh, play test. Hopefully, we'll get a play test here soon. Um, to the rest of the team, Jim, thank you very much. Absolutely. And I just didn't want to talk too much, is all. I know. That's why we're here, for us to talk it up. You know, and then there's Gaz who couldn't shut up. So, uh, <laughs> thank you, everybody. Uh, this is G for the Sit Rep Podcast, and we will see you soon. Jim, uh, we have HK Ops tomorrow. And then, um, let's see, Gaz, are you doing any more brewing views this week? Yeah, I should be able to do one this week on uh, Thursday if nobody's uh, using the time slot. Perfect. Um, so keep up on those projects. And um, we are going to definitely do a play test of uh, North Ag uh, once I get all the six mils put together um, until we can get our 10 mil, and then we'll play it then as a comparison with full-blown rules. Um, so we'll be filming that as well at some point. So thank you guys, everybody. Again, Pierce, thank you so much for taking time out of your yes. Saturday. And uh, thank you, guys, and we'll see you in the next episode of the SITREP Podcast. Take care.